All right, back with you on a Monday, the Dave Ellswick Show. Glad to have you along for the ride today. Got a a full show coming up at uh, 2.35. We'll be talking for the uh, RNC and talking to them about the um, Supreme Court nominees that we might, uh, nominee we might see from uh, President Trump. Uh, He did some uh, interviewing today of... uh, four possible Supreme Court candidates. President Trump interviewed them uh, earlier today, said he plans to meet with two to three more candidates before he announces a successor to Justice Kennedy. Uh, Quote, I think the person that is chosen will be outstanding. That's what the president told reporters before a meeting in the Oval Office with uh, the Prime Minister of the Netherlands. Kennedy, of course, announced last week he'll step down from the high court, effective July 31st. With Kennedy's retirement, Trump will have the opportunity to name a second Supreme Court justice, the first of which was Justice Neil Gorsuch. The president said he plans to choose his nominee from a list of 25 candidates released by the White House. Federal judges uh, Brett Kavanaugh, Amy Coney Barrett, Thomas Hardiman, Amul uh, Thapper and Raymond Kethledge are considered to be the front runners. Uh, two of the uh, four that he talked to today uh, were Kavanaugh and Barrett. He said of the five uh, justices that he has whittled the uh, list down to, three are men, two are women. So we'll know a week from today who it is that the president wants to nominate. And, of course, the Democrats are making all kinds of uh, of noise that McConnell has said that he wants to start the process, get it done, uh, get the uh, Supreme Court justice in before midterms happening are happening. And they said, hey, well, you didn't do that with the, the last uh, justice that uh, we were putting up uh, uh, when it was uh, Obama's turn, and he put up uh, Garrett. Uh, and uh, you all wouldn't hear hear it saying that there is an election coming up. Well, they they tend to take things out of context. They do that all the time. And the reason, the, con- the contextual reason you have to remember is it was a presidential election, not a midterm election. And that is where that read uh way of doing things uh, goes into play and where uh, Biden made came up with the rule that if you're going to have a presidential election, uh, you should wait until after the presidential election to see if the people pick somebody different, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, so they did that uh, the last time. And then Gorsuch was President Trump's uh, nominee, and he was confirmed. Now we've got this next uh uh, nominee to be made and uh, it's a midterm and I think it was Kagan when she was confirmed she was confirmed during uh, midterm so uh, there's nothing unusual about this at all they're doing it exactly the way they've done it in the past and uh, McConnell just wants to get it done uh, before uh, you know the elections happen and uh, I don't blame him for that uh, whatsoever, to be honest with you. I don't blame him about that at all. 
Uh, coming up here in the uh, the next uh, half hour, we'll talk more uh, into that and uh, and speak to it and find out what Kaylee has to say or Kylie has to say about it uh, here on the Dave Ellswick Show with us. Uh, at 3 o'clock, Dr. Yamauchi, Terry Yamauchi, is going to be with us. You know, it's been, if you didn't notice over the weekend, it's been hot. I mean, really, really hot. And so uh, with that in mind, I, I've he's coming uh, He's coming in to talk about that. Uh, he had a heat-related incident here just a couple of weeks ago. So he's going to talk about that and speak to the seriousness of uh, of the heat, and uh, we'll talk about that with him. Uh, I'm sure he'll talk about it from uh, for seniors as well because it can be a real tough, tough uh, time for seniors out there uh, when it gets this hot. So Kaylee McEnany is going to be with us at 2.35. Dr. Yamauchi will get underway at 3. Uh, Brenda is going to be with us uh, from Conduit for Action. Joe is not here today, so it would just be her and I. And then uh, Robert Steinbach will join us in the 5 o'clock hour. Uh, he sent me a really great article that we want to talk about. And it was written by Adam Liptick of the New York Times. And uh, it's fake news, so it's going to be fun to talk about it. How conservatives have weaponized the First Amendment. So we're going to talk about that. And uh, also, we'll talk about uh, an uh, uh, article that was uh, written in The Federalist uh, about that New York Times article. Uh, and uh, the title of that article is The New York Times he clowns itself with fake news about free speech. So we'll talk uh, to that as well. Let's get our first break in. It's uh, about 13 minutes after 2. It's the Dave Ellswick Show. It is a Monday, 4th of July, coming up on Wednesday. So it will be kind of a weird week today because a lot of us will have Wednesday off, a middle-of-the-week day off. But you know what? A day off is a day off. I'll enjoy it. I've already got my watermelon ready to go for uh, the Fourth of July. I bought my hamburger. I'm going to get. I'm going to put make hamburger patties, and in the middle of them, I am putting a about the size of. What is that about a about a quarter size of a, a quarter a piece of mozzarella cheese? Then you fold that burger around it and pat it out. Then you cook it. And that cheese just infuses throughout the, the hamburger. It's very good. So we'll talk about a lot of different things today here on the Dave Ellswick Show. And uh, stick around. we got a lot to talk about today. All right, we continue here on the uh, the Dave Ellswick Show and the Monday edition. Like I said, Kaylee is going to be coming up, uh, McEnany, here in the, uh, the next half hour. We'll talk specifically about the president and uh, his... Uh, choices uh, for Supreme Court. He's got it whittled down to five. Uh, he met with four today. Uh, he says he's got a couple more that he wants to meet with. If he's got it whittled down to five, I would think that he'll meet with one more. So two are women, three are men. So uh, we'll have to wait and see what he's got going on. Uh, since we don't have a lot of time uh, to the bottom of the hour for the news, 
Let's uh, take a look at a side story I came across today that I thought was was interesting. And there's more and more empirical evidence coming out uh, about this. It's not anecdotal uh, now. They've done run tests, and uh, now they have empirical evidence going on. The pervasiveness of screen time and its impact on various dimensions of uh, our lives is profound. Let me just uh, read this to you. Nearly all teens, as well as most adults, have been profoundly affected by the increasing predominance of electronic devices in our lives. Many people suspect that today's teens spend much more time with screens and much less time with their peers face-to-face than did earlier generations. And uh, the analysis of this, and this is uh, Gene Twinge, professor of psychology at San Diego State University, uh, says of the numerous large surveys of teens of various ages, this shows to be absolutely true. Let's break it all down. The number of 17 and 18-year-olds who get together with their friends every day, for example, dropped by 40% between 2000 and 2016. A period of 16 years, face-to-face communication (coughs) between teens fell by 40%. And I'm going to get uh, the doctor on, going to try to get her on on Friday and, uh, and talk to her about this study. I find it interesting. I think that uh, it's stuff that we should know about. There was a big article today in the newspaper about uh, your children and their smartphones and how much attention do you pay uh, to what they are seeing on their smartphones. Because I'm, you give your kid a smartphone and they can go anywhere they want to, there's a lot of stuff out there that I would bet as a parent you wouldn't want your child to get into. And so you need to know, you know, where your child is going. Want to make sure you know that. And I found it interesting between 2016 that getting together with their friends each day had dropped by 40% for 17 and 18 year olds. I mean, seriously, we got together. I think about when I, that would have been my, my uh, junior, <clears throat> excuse me, junior and senior year in high school. And I can tell you, I saw my friends every, almost every freaking day, even during the summertime. We were seeing each other uh, during the, uh, the summertime each day. Uh, we'd at least talk. Now, maybe not face-to-face every day, but the uh, majority of the time. We'd see each other, although with all of us working in the steel mills while we were going to college uh, during the summertime, we all might get on different shifts. You know, one of us working the midnight, another one a morning you know, shift, another one three to 11s, and that made it difficult. But at least one day out of the week, we'd see each other, and that was during the summer. But, man, I'm telling you what, when school was in, we were inseparable with our friends. Was that the way it was for you, Russ? Do you spend a lot of time with your friends? I mean, during school time? I didn't have any friends. 
Now, I can understand that, but still, no, I don't believe that. You had friends. Man, I can still tell you, Chris Setliff, Bruce Granger, and uh, little John Garner's son, Rusty Garner, mm-hmm. just down the street from me, those were the kids that were on the block, we, and me and my brother, and we ran all together. Now, this was before we had jobs. This was when we weren't working. Yeah. We were still kids at this time. But, yeah, school was out because we didn't all go to school together. School was out, though. We were there in the neighborhood, and we were playing. Yeah. We were on our bikes riding up and down the street. We were over on West 25th Street. No, wait. You're telling, you're, telling me you, you're telling me you weren't texting them, right? Oh, we wait. Didn't you didn't have, have texting, right? Then, dude. <laughs> you, you, you reached up on the wall. You ran for the phone and grabbed it off the wall when it started ringing. If you wanted to talk to somebody, you'd go down and knock on their door and see if they were home. If they were home, they'd come out and play. We'd go have a good time. I mean, we went down to Boyle Park and we're riding our bikes in Rock Creek. We would fish in Rock Creek. We would uh, just about kill ourselves riding our bikes through that creek because we had no fear whatsoever. (laughs) And if it was raining, we were down there. Trying to ride our bikes through a flooded rock creek. Right. Dangerous is all get out, but it was a lot of fun. You know, I, I saw a guy uh, do a uh, comedy sketch the other day. He said, when I was growing up, our parents let us play with guns, knives, and fireworks. And the ones who were not smart enough to handle those things didn't survive. <laughs> Hate to tell you that. Well, I didn't lose any friends doing that stuff. I mean, I remember having cherry bombs and slingshots and being at opposite ends of the street and having teams, and you'd pull the cherry bomb back and the slingshot, and then your buddy would light the fuse, and then you'd let it fly. And we would do that when it was dark outside You'd see those sparkles coming towards you, and you'd start moving as fast as you could. And, uh, you know, we did all kinds of stuff like that when, you know, as I think back on it. But the key was we did all of that kind of stuff together. We learned how to to get along together. We oh, learned yeah, we how not bottle to. rocket wars. And, I mean, you'd go get your fireworks, and you'd stack them all up in one little, and you'd build your fort. And you'd get your buddies, and somebody else would get their buddies, and you guys would sit at opposite ends of the street, and you'd have bottle rocket wars. And if you were if you were good enough, you hit your butt, you hit one of their stashes, and oops, there goes all their fireworks. You know, I wonder sometimes. I go past these firework places. Don't they seem kind of dangerous to you? Because on one whole. Only half, in my mind. Like a, half of the fireworks place is all these full boxes of fireworks. And I'm thinking, what happens if a flame gets over that? That's going to be that's going to be entertaining if you're around the area. You're going yeah. to see a lot of uh, cool stuff go off. But that would be dangerous as all get out. Well, I mean, you think about all the stories we've heard about the uh, the fireworks factories around the yeah. world that have fires and then just go up yeah. and kill how many people? A lot. 
That one that happened in Mexico City about eight years ago, I think, killed 60 people. I mean, you think about it. All that's in that place is, you know, some kinds of minerals that they put in the gunpowder so they get a lot of those colors and things of that nature. If it goes off, there's a ton of gunpowder in those places. Big boom when it goes up. Big boom as far as that. By the way, glad to see. Did you get rain where you were at yesterday? I was at Dickie Stevens Park, and yes, it poured. Yeah, we poured. 20 minutes. About 20 minutes. We had about, I guess, about an hour and 10 minutes in Cabot that we got about 20 minutes really, really hard rain, and then it was a steady rain for another maybe 40 minutes. So we got hour, hour, 10 minutes. Maybe it was 50 minutes. But bottom line, it gave everything a good soaking, and that was good, thinking that all the people are going to be out with those fireworks this weekend or this no middle of this week way that they're going to have in some places a burn ban but well, yeah well there was a minute and or an hour and four minute rain delay yesterday in the ball game we and you guys won right to the fifth inning well guess what they got to the top of the fifth inning and right as the team was out there on the field they turned around and went to the dugouts uh, all right so they had to come out in an hour and something and Finished the game, huh? Yeah, an hour and four minutes later, they came out and finished the game. So, what is what's on the tarp out there? What what do they have? They got a they got an advertiser's name on the tarp? Not on the tarp, no. No, oh, they don't. They need just to sell the that. Outs. They need to sell that. I'm just saying, sell it on the tarp. May only go out three times in the year, although they should have it covered up during the nighttime. Keep it nice and you know water it. Keep it nice and and uh, damp. You know, for the for the grass, just like they do at the major league parks, and just have a big, have that big old, you know, logo on it for somebody. I'm thinking uh, the answer, 101.1 FM, the answer with my mug on it would be a perfect thing to have on the tarp. That'd be pretty awesome. <laughs> this is Dave talk- Ellswick rain delay. Uh, yeah, you this, there home. you go. <laughs> Dave Ellswick spoiling again. Another another great. You know, Traveler's Baseball Game. <laughs> All right, we'll take a break. Kaylee uh, McEnany is going to be with us from the uh, RNC. She's coming up, and we're going to talk to her about the uh, Supreme Court justice nominees that the president might be considering, how that all works. Uh, they just named the team today that would help whoever the nominee is to be able to to walk through the fires that will be set for them. Uh, the Democrats are already, uh, you know, setting up a firing squad, so to speak, uh, for the nominee. And then you get some Republicans that are already saying, well, now if uh, they won't, you know, if they'll get rid of Roe v. Wade, I can't vote for them. Well, I'm sorry, you can't ask them how they're going to vote about Roe v. Wade. Because they just look at you and say, I can't talk about that if it comes up before me. I can't prejudice myself and and not be able to you know have to recuse myself from that. I can't tell you what I'll do. Have to you just have to find out. All right. So who will the president nominate? That is what's on everybody's mind in Washington D.C. And I'll tell you, it's on every leftist mind in uh, Washington D.C. So um, the president met with four people today. Uh, evidently. Uh, it was um, the gentleman who is on the appeals court in Washington, D.C. 
and the lady who's on appeals court there in I think in Indiana, those are the two I believe people know uh, that he met with today. He said they said that he had it whittled down to five and that two of them were women, three of them are uh, are men. So let's talk to uh, uh, Kaylee McEnany. She joins us. She's from the uh, RNC. Hey, Kaylee, how are you? Welcome to the Dave Ellswick Show. Appreciate the time. Hey, thanks for having me, Dave. Yeah, always, always. Uh, you see Kaylee a lot of times over on Fox News. She appears there we're there kind of uh, regularly. It's good to have her with us. So what's your take on this? First of all, let's dispel the myth that the Republicans are rushing this through. That uh, you know McConnell should wait till after the election. Well, if it was a presidential election, perhaps. But since it's midterms, and since uh, Kagan was approved during midterms, seems to me that we can go ahead and take care of uh, this nominee and get it done uh, expeditiously. That's right. You know, the president has. Uh the constitutional power to appoint Supreme Court justices. Therefore, it makes sense if you're in a presidential election year, the people are on the verge of giving their mandate of who they want to lead. You would wait until uh, that next president was decided upon. Uh, That was the principle, the so-called Biden rule, and now Democrats are trying to contort it uh, in, in a way that suggests it's just any election, any old election, not just a presidential one. It's obviously false and flawed narrative and a hypocritical one because they confirmed Elena Kagan during a midterm election. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, just a Chuck, Schum- Chuck Schumer distortion, uh, another one of his hypocritical uh, pretzel twisting kind of acts to try to stop the president's agenda. Yeah. Did you happen to hear, uh, uh, was it Kamala? Did you hear her last week talking about how uh, they're going to destroy the Constitution uh, with the president's nominee, and and we we go, we're going to do we're going to play hardball. We're going to stop this. And then Dick Durbin, of all people, it just amazed me. It was Durbin from Illinois. Uh, I forget what show he was on. I think MSNBC. And they asked him what uh, what she had said about playing hardball, and he said, uh, "Hey." We don't have the numbers to play hardball. We can't stop this. Uh, this is majority rules right now. That's the way this works. And 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 he, he said it the way it was for the Democrats. The Democrats are at a decided disadvantage unless several Republicans decide to jump ship. And even if that happens, I think there's several Democrats that are going to jump ship with the Democrats and vote for whoever the, uh, the president nom- uh, nominates. But I'm just interested in your thoughts here. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Uh, You know, a moment of truth for Dick Durbin. Wow, you know, sound the alarm bells. Uh, (laughs) You know, they don't have enough votes to overturn this. Even if we lose a few Republicans, you are spot on to suggest that that you think some Democrats will come over. I think you're right. Um, And why would I say that, given that Democrats have not come over at all? They didn't come over on tax cuts. They didn't come over on shutting the government down. uh, Or they allowed the government to shut down, didn't give us the votes to keep that open. Uh, They didn't come over on infrastructure, on a DACA fix, you know, none of this. But here I think you're going to see a difference because several Democrats – 
uh, Heidi Heitkamp, Claire McCaskill, Joe Donnelly, Joe Manchin. Several of these Democrats in red states are now playing ads. I stand with the Trump agenda. I'm a Trump ally. Well, if you're a Trump ally, now's your chance to prove it. Right. So I think you're going to see a few Democrats come over just so they can go out and tout the fact that they stood with the president on one issue. All right. So let's name a few that have a good possibility to do that. Manchin seems to me is number one on this list. I mean, he's in deep, deep doo-doo in West Virginia. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, when your governor switches parties from Democrat to Republican because he sees the writing on the wall, pretty good indicator, Joe, that maybe uh, you should change your own party affiliation. And if mm-hmm. you don't want to change your party ID, at least change the way you vote. Yeah, absolutely. Heidi Heitkamp up in North Dakota, uh, she was showing some fair strength up there until just recently, and now she's starting to flag out. Not a good uh, good uh, future look for her. She doesn't want to go into this election with that albatross around her neck voting against Trump's uh, nominee, you think? Yeah, I think you're right. You know, she's someone who flew on the plane with the president, uh, was at a rally. I I believe she flew on the plane. She either flew on Air Force One or was at his Trump tax cut rally, you know, kind of considering giving her support to tax cuts and ended up not doing so in the end. So she's someone who desperately needs to prove or uh, I I don't want to say prove, because I think even if they vote for this nominee, they're not proving they're a Trump ally. I think, you know, she's trying to con. uh, That's probably a better way to say it. Con her voters, the the voters in North Dakota, into the fact of thinking that she is a Trump ally. So, yeah, I do think that you'll see her come over. Yeah. uh, What's her name out of Missouri? I think she votes against his nominee because she's just an idiot anyway. And then uh, uh, is it Donaldson out of Indiana? I think that he might he might come over, uh, although he's he's pretty much uh, a loyalist to the Democrat Party. I mean, he he might be a closet Democrat socialist for all I know. Um, So he probably won't vote for the nominee. He might be a closet socialist, Joe Donnelly. Um, and then, you know, John Tester in Montana, yes. you know, I think, you know, he might surprise you, though, because he's one of these guys who came out with an ad saying, I can count on two hands the number of times that I've sent legislation to Donald Trump's desk, and he signed it, and he's touting it uh, to his constituents as if, you know, he's the man that's responsible for all the good happening in the Trump world. Well, he's not. So, you know, it depends. Sadly, I think with all of these Democrats, they're just going to be looking at the poll. And if they think they have to do this uh, and they have to stand up and stop being a Chuck Schumer lapdog, then I think you'll see them them do it. Uh, but make no mistake, even if they vote this way, they are a Chuck Schumer lapdog. They will not support this president. The moment, the day after the midterm elections, their support for the president ends. Yeah, and I agree with that wholeheartedly. How many of them will still be uh, holding on to their seats? Now, that's a, that's a question because I personally feel we're going to pick up four or five seats in the Senate uh, coming at midterm elections. I think we'll lose some seats in the House, but not enough to turn to power. Um, I think it's going to be very interesting midterm elections. Uh, I think the winds are blowing our way now. How do you feel about that? Oh, there's no doubt when you see a majority support for the president uh, on, on the economy, uh, they, a majority approve of him. That's a big deal. The fact that Gallup, a recent poll showed that the number of Americans who believe we're heading in the right direction is now above the historic average. So that's a great sign. So just generally, Americans are feeling better about 
how this country is moving and how their lives are being affected. So, you know, that indicates to me that that there's enthusiasm for this president, that the tides are changing as Democrats go toward socialism, start calling for violence. Uh, I think that drives people to our corner. They see the results they're getting in their lives, and then they also don't want to be affiliated with some of the insane remarks coming out of the left these days. Well, I, you're right about that. It's insane coming out, coming from the uh, the left now. They, they've gotten, they have lost it. As the president has become more effective uh, with legislation uh, coming up to be able to make another Supreme Court nomination, uh, you know, pass the tax bill that that's still out there and and it's really starting to to build on the economy. The economy may grow in the next uh, quarter by five percent. Everybody remember when everybody was saying three years ago, Kaylee, it would never grow over two and a half percent a year again. You remember that doomsday crap we kept hearing? I do. And and now it's interesting to compare it to the fact that we're hearing, you know, remarks that we're going to exceed 4% growth in the second quarter, uh, potentially, you know, hit 5% at some point in the future. Uh, big difference. Yeah, no doubt. Okay, so let me ask, can you t- tell our listeners, I know they put together a team to help whoever the nominee will be, because this is going this is going to be a war, whoever it is. They better gird up because it's going to be a war with the Democrats there. You know, if we thought Ted Kennedy was bad on on, uh, you know, Bork and and some of the other people and that Thomas had a tough time when he was up. uh, This is really going to be a tough one because this could literally sway the balance of the Supreme Court to the right for the next 35, 40 years. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And Democrats, you know, they know they don't have the vote. So what they're going to try to do is wage a a publicity campaign uh, against whoever the nominee is to try to bring a few Republicans over to their side and keep any any Democrats for from coming over. So they're going to be in all out takedown mode uh, to to try to sway public opinion against who the president puts forward. That's the only thing that they can do is is try to change public opinion and pressure uh, some some folks to come over to their side. So, yes, it's going to be an all-out war. I think it's great to have a communications team assembled, ready to attack what will be an onslaught of just uh, false attacks Mm -hmm. and criticisms of the distinguished members of this list, which, by the way, just to tell your listeners, a Yale Law School professor, a vowed Democrat, Hillary Clinton voter, his name's Akil Amar, said that the men and women on this list are distinguished and respectable. So, any wise, sane person uh, in the legal community knows these are good picks, even if they don't agree with them. They're qualified, they're distinguished, but Democrats will st- still try to take them down. Yeah, just just uh, for our listeners' sake, I think they need to understand that, you know, you're exactly right. They're going to try to put forth a narrative that whomever is nominated is not worthy for character flaws or or that uh, there are two extremists in their views that they shouldn't be on the Supreme Court. As far as the Trump administration is, this is very important for them to have a team to sit down with the nominee and have their own team that goes out and does, you know, you know looks for bad stuff to make sure that nobody gets blindsided, Correct. 
Yeah, it's important that every single candidate is vetted uh, and and that you know where the the high spots are, you know if there are any weak spots and you're ready to address them before the left can use them against you for for sure. Um, But all of the individuals on this list have been vetted. All 25 of these men and women are distinguished and respectable. As the Yale Law School professor said, they've been recommended by the Federalist Society President Leonard Leo, distinguished organization that is all about ensuring that justices are Uh, abide by the Constitution, follow the words as they're written on the page. So they have been vetted. These are great individuals. uh, And you're right to say that there will be a communications team ready to prepare them uh, for for what will be attacks on their character or uh, false attacks on on just who they are as people. Do Do they literally sit down with these people? I don't know if you know this or not. Do they sit down and uh, with the nominee and say, uh, like they would if the president was going to go out and do a debate uh, to say that somebody might bring up this question. You might want to think about answering this way. Do, do they go that far? I definitely. I mean, anytime, you know, I can't speak to exactly how this process will go in this specific administration, but I can tell you with assurance uh, that Anytime there's a confirmation hearing, these individuals are sat down, they're prompted with specific questions that they'll get asked, uh, just like preparing for a trial. You know, you are on trial, essentially, and your qualifications, and you have to be ready to address, uh, you know, even a a small decision uh, that you gave many, many decades ago could come up. Uh, So you really have to have a great breadth of understanding uh, and and recollection of every aspect of your own life uh, down to the smallest granular detail. So for sure, you know, this person will be trained and and well-equipped and ready uh, to go in and face Uh, the attack dogs of the left that are going to pepper them uh, with all sorts of questions and lines of attack uh, during these hearings. All right. So do you want to make a prediction? I'm going to make a prediction. I think it's going to be uh, the uh, appeals court justice from Indiana, Amy. I think she's going to be the one that he picks. I think he's going to pick a woman. What do you think? You know, I think it'd be a great choice. We want the most qualified man or woman to be the one who's selected, but all 25 people on this list oh, are great. qualified. I think it's they're great. And I, I, I personally, as a woman, always love to see women empowered um, all across government. And I think it would be fantastic to see the court get a, a conservative female justice, because right now we know all the, all the conservative justices we have are men. So it'd be nice to get a female in our ranks. All right. Last question for you now. I'll let you go. Uh, Susan Collins says she won't vote for somebody that wants to overturn Roe v. Wade. She says that's settled law, et cetera, et cetera. It, it amazes me she would say such a thing when supposedly when we look at our Supreme Court nominees, we look at them as, uh, you know, we don't ask them, are they for Roe v. Wade or what? I, I think she uh, she went too far. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's spot on to say uh, we separate the political opinions of of a person uh, from judicial decision making. You know, it's um, inappropriate for any judge to be asked, you know, their personal political belief, because that's so divorced from what they do on a day to day basis. They interpret the laws as written uh, without their political beliefs being considered. We know uh, Justice Kagan and Sotomayor and Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Breyer don't 
intend to do that ever, uh, but our justices <laughs> have and will continue to do so. So it is an inappropriate question to ask um, that that political opinion of the judge is irrelevant. All right, Kaylee, thanks so much for your time. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. We look forward to catching you down the road again. Thanks so much. Appreciate it, Dave. All right. Talk to you later again. Kaylee McEnany here on the Dave Ellswick Show. And I, I, Collins really did. She pissed me off, to be honest with you. All right. Uh, we're going to have Terry Yamauchi in the next hour. we got to get a break in. Let me remind you about Aero Plumbing. They got their 100% satisfaction guarantee. This is what I love. I mean, if you've got the, the, the company, uh, you've got the professionals, you've got uh, the people that are working for you that get the job done and get it done right, you don't mind saying, if you're not 100% satisfied with the service that we've provided, we'll refund all of your money. Because uh, with the way that Earl Donaldson and his crew does things and his son, uh, they just do it right. You won't be uh, upset with them in any way shape or form if uh, the plumber that they send out happens to swear in your home you don't have to pay for the service that's the kind of company we're talking about here if a repair fails in the first year they're going to repair it again at no charge that's what makes aero plumbing better than everybody else aeroplumbing.net or just look under Google at Aero Plumbing. You know, been uh, big changes over at Horton's Orthotics and Prosthetics. They've torn down part of their office, about oh, almost two-thirds of it. It's becoming a state-of-the-art facility now. Going to have the latest technology in prosthetics and orthotics, a new gate room, large new waiting room, a new mastectomy area just for mastectomy patients, so you have some extra privacy and comfort while they're uh, able to fit you, as well as down uh, stairs, they have a 3D printer, and they're just waiting for them to uh, get the material that the 3D printer uses to be strong enough to print off prosthetics. It's really an amazing technology they have. They have a device that they run over the amputee's uh, stump and it enters that into a computer and they can press two buttons and it will print a perfectly fitting prosthetic for the patient absolutely incredible uh, and you know Gary Gary Horton who's been at this now for uh, many many decades who's looked at as, uh, you know, big-time father of modern prosthetics. He's the man who gave us the articulating knee. Uh, he was all excited about this. I mean, he was like a little kid at a candy store when I was talking to him about it. Just know that they've gone from one facility, this facility in Little Rock, that's being upgraded now, to six facilities. Little Rock, North Little Rock, Bryant, Conway, Fort Smith, and Searcy because Horton's Orthotics and Prosthetics provides a lifetime of support. So Dave Ellswick Show, uh, Dr. Uh, Terry Yamauchi is up next. Heat can be a killer. We'll talk about it when we return on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, Dr. Terry Yamauchi is with us. Before we get to him, I wanted to bring a, a story to you. You know that the media has been giving us this big hoax narrative over the last couple of weeks about president trump and 
the separation of illegal alien families at the border, uh, trying to say that, uh, you know, this is just what Trump's been up to. What they don't tell you is about that under former President Obama, the same thing was going. In fact, it was his uh, Homeland Security man, uh, Johnson, uh, that just blew it up. I mean, they they put more people, quote, in cages uh, than anybody had ever done. Uh, They fabricated the whole narrative out of just whole cloth because the whole Russian narrative is is collapsing around them. So they needed something new. But I wanted to tell you that uh, Trump's approval ratings with Hispanics have jumped 10 points. It's gone up 10 points. All right. And uh, on top of that, uh, amongst Republicans, his numbers have gone up six points. Among Democrats, he's gone up four points. That's what a little extra money in people's pockets will do for him. You know, if by chance the quarter right before the election, the economy grows at 5%, the blue wave is not going to be even a ripple. I'm just telling you right now, it won't be a ripple. People are paying attention. They know what's going on. So anyway, enough of that. I'll talk about it further uh, in the show, but I wanted to get to that because a lot of you probably have not heard heard those uh, those facts uh, today. But Dr. Terry Yamauchi is with us, and I was talking to him on the phone last week, and I'm going to be honest, you didn't sound good. You sounded like you felt terrible, and uh, you just should have seen what it looked like. Yeah, I don't. I didn't know. I didn't know what you looked like. I just knew how you you sounded, and you you sounded weak, and and that's not you. I mean, I'm listening to you now. You sound like yourself now, but you had a run in evidently with these big temperatures we've been having. I I did, and it's the second time in two years, which is scary. Okay, and you know, one of my great loves is uh, ball games, mm-hmm. and. Uh, Used to be baseball. Still, I love baseball, but uh, you know, I'm now atten- uh, paying a lot of attention to senior softball, old men softball. Although the way and the and the places I go, it's really very uh, very good players, excellent players. Yeah. And uh, in fact, we're I have a fifty year old t- team that the players have to be at least fifty to play. And uh, we're ranked number one in the whole country right now. The whole country. Very cool, dude. Yeah, yeah it's a very good. Okay, now, just for people who think that that's cool, what school did you go to I in went, college? Well, I went to the University of Oregon Medical School, and I went to uh, a Portland State University in undergraduate school. Okay. I played ball at Portland State university okay and that was uh in the pacific coast conference okay now i want want you to i I want you to tell everybody do you you still hold the record as far as base hits no no but i did you did it one time well yeah i've I've had pretty good experiences in in college i led the coast in hitting one year uh and uh you know i i Lettered all four years. Uh, I love the game. Did you ever? Did you guys ever make it to the World Series? Yes, we we went all the way to the finals and got beat by Georgia, and uh, um, you know it was 
experience you just can't believe well you're a ball player you know that i know you know it's a, the camaraderie that's why i love stuff. talking to you about this <laughs> I, people don't people don't know this about you but you were a great shortstop right no i was a, early on i was a shortstop okay. i played second base in high school and i played third base in oh, college. hot corner yeah i was a pretty good third baseman i never had the great arm like you, like you did but i could i didn't miss many i had a record for fielding uh career fielding and um you know i so I, let me guess since you didn't have a shotgun on your shoulder you charged every ball didn't you yeah and i played very, See? yeah and i played short i i I love yeah, I it. I played close, in close, you know. Doesn't it, that drove me crazy watching the World Series, the College World Series, of how many ball players do not charge the ball anymore? That's right, they don't. But you know, we have to remember now they're playing a little different game than you and I played. I don't. You didn't. You didn't use metal bats, did you? Oh no. Yeah. See, all wood. Metal bats are a lot different. Ball comes off of them quicker. Uh, the turfs they're playing on, if they play artificial turf, of course, it's a little different fielding. So quicker. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And you watch these younger fellows play in these good colleges or, you know, that level ball. They all got great arms. Evans yes. is unbelievable at third base. It is incredible how hard they – and people, they used to always make fun of me, the opposing team, because in infield I'd be playing much shorter than most, mm-hmm. you know, uh, third basemen. And they'd always say, what an arm, what a chicken arm, you know, and this. So try me. And they, you know, tried. I don't see you on first base. <laughs> <laughs> that's, so, a, that's the answer, man. I don't see you standing on first base very often. Right. So, yeah. And I, so I have a, a real great love for the game, as you, as you do. And I've I, st- I, I love evans at third because that kid he's going to play major league ball and he's going to start for somebody uh, up in the bigs he made several plays on what i i call pool cue shots or toppers or whatever and they're just little rollers to third base and he comes in picks it up barehanded and throws across his body and gets the guy by a step and a half that's a hell of a play that is not an easy play. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know if you noticed. You might have, but I watch all the <clears throat> infielders play those slow rollers. And, you know, I was always taught to scoop the ball. Mm-hmm. But the big-time guys like Brooks Robinson, who I listened to talk about it, he says you come in and you uh, – uh, Underhand. Underhand, yeah. And uh, – you know, I, I never tried that. I thought they had. I made one. I year. always came across and grabbed. Well, that's the way I sort of the way I did. Yeah. So uh, those little things that are different, how some guys play the ball. You, know, you, you know, I know you. You like Glenn Beckett and Kissinger. And Dude, the '69 Cubs always be my. <laughs> they're always going to be my favorite ball club. They were a great ball club. Kissinger and Beckett and Banks and Santo, and Hundley. That was a great team. You really, Billy Williams, Al Spangler, Adolfo Phillips. I mean, come on. A great, great team. Really, really was. A super team. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And great pitching, too. Holtzman and Fergie and all the rest of them. 
They should have won that year. I think you t- you were ta- we were talking about Holtzman the other night. Yes, uh, that left-hander. I saw him. Uh, I saw him pitch a no hitter, and then the next day I watched Sandy Koufax pitch a no hitter <laughs> at Wrigley Field. They both they pitched no hitters back to back. So did you try to pitch left-handed the next day? No, <laughs> you were right-handed I pitcher. Would, you let me just say this: it, back in the day that we played. The money was not in Major League Baseball like it is today. I mean, Al Kaline had just broke $100,000, all right, as a ball player. And and then was offered more money two years later and turned it down and said $100,000 was enough to play a game. And uh, that's what they're getting now to play a game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a game. Two pitches maybe, you know, on, on some of these guys. I mean, look at LeBron yesterday, 100 what 154 million over four years? Oh no, he's they well close to close to uh, 40 million a year. <sighs> he was getting 34 or 36 this year. Uh, For him, it's all about championships now. Well, he's not going to get That's one in he LA. Says. He's not going to get one with and Lakers. Not unless Lakers. they're going to put a lot of people around him. Got to get some better ones. George ain't going now. Yeah, he's he's stuck where he or yeah. he stayed with what he. Well, he's got Oklahoma. Yeah, he's going to stay there. Yeah, but he's going to get about thirty-eight million. Yeah, that's the key. You know that money spends just as well anywhere you happen to live. Or if you want to, you can go somewhere else and <laughs> yeah. spend it. It's true. You can live somewhere else if you want to when you're not playing. Yeah, it's just, those numbers are well. En- enough about baseball. Let Let us talk about the Heat because it. Had, <clears throat> I'm going to tell you what I went to. Um, I went down to Hot Springs on Saturday, and it was unmerciful walking down the road there in in, uh, in Hot Springs. It was 101 degrees regular temperature. I can only imagine that the heat index was somewhere around 112, 113. Well, coming off the street, off the cement, you know, that's even worse. It was hot. Let's just put it that way. It was hot. And we're just starting. Yeah, yeah. We're only in the beginning of July. We haven't even got to the hottest month, which is August. Yeah, well, that's typically. One, that's one of the reasons I thought it was so important to you know talk a little bit about this because it's it's every day and people think, oh, it's hot outside. You know, they don't think about it like you know we might think about reckless driving or things like that. It's there. Yeah, when you yeah. go outside, and especially, I, I think you can you can speak to this. I can even speak to this. You know what? When I'm 65 now, when I go out and it's really, really hot, I don't do yard work anymore. I don't go outside and pick up the the edger and get down the ditch and start edging during the middle of the afternoon. When I was in my 20s, I didn't think anything about that. But now I do because I've, I've gotten lightheaded while I've been out there working sometimes. And that's exactly what you have to watch out for and as you get older it doesn't take as much heat it doesn't take as much exposure and the symptoms could be start out very very mild mm-hmm. <clears throat> so uh it's good that we're talking about this you so know, you ran into this i mean you've had the heat affect you here recently well two years ago fourth of july two years ago in a tournament softball tournament and you know i wasn't playing i'm coaching at third base but mm-hmm. um you know it was really hot I and mean, we were playing in jacksonville and uh, i remember the heat coming off the field was intense and i've had 
you know, lots of heat before. We played ball in heat last when we were younger. Yeah. And, you know, you just thought, well, you know, this is part of the game, da-da-da. And I wasn't perspiring like I usually do or did. Wow, that's not good. Well, I was, was, but it wasn't like, you know. It wasn't pouring off It wasn't coming off me like, yeah. And I was, I thought I'd prepared myself. I knew the things I was supposed to do. Uh, No alcohol. I had had one beer the night before. Uh, I wasn't drinking carbonated uh, sodas, Cokes, and Mm -hmm. things like that. And I was drinking, every evening I was drinking water. Every night I drink a little water. So I felt like, and I was still able to pee pretty well. And and all of a sudden, you know, I just said, gee, I can't read that scoreboard very well. It looks like there's spots all over it. Uh Uh-oh. Right. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. And so I said, you know, I'm going to sit out this next couple innings and sit on the bench and drink uh, water. Water. Did you pour some on your head? I didn't, but I just drank some, lots of water. Should have poured some on your head, Doc. Well, on your head, it'd just roll off. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's true. But um, I, um, well, when the game, and I got sick to my stomach. Oh, yeah, and I had got the heaves. I had loose bowels started on me, and had to go to the bathroom. Wow! Yeah, that's right. And then you know the game finished, and I was driving home, and um, somebody was following me in their car, and they said, "You know, you acted like you're drunk. Your car was weaving all over the highway." changing lanes and uh, and uh, you're only going 40 miles an hour i thought mm. it was and uh you know it turned out i was dehydrated so that i i would always try and drink lots of fluid and you know watch what i'm drinking and then this year about a month ago started having some of the similar symptoms out there and only it wasn't as, as hot as it had been. It was hot. You know, I was in Texas. Right. And uh, same kinds of symptoms that hit me. I sat out a whole game, which is really unusual for me. And sure enough, I was mildly dehydrated. My doctor told me, you know, you're not drinking enough water. And I was, you know, I, I wasn't on a minimum, minimal type of a diet where I was trying to watch what I was eating and eat vegetables and anyway it turned out again uh, only i had for it lasted for several days and actually now it's turned into weeks i'm uh, as as you notice i'm feeling better i am feeling better oh yeah look uh, a lot better. well i did i i could only envision what you look like but listening to you i saw you as a pale guy and you're not a pale guy all right that bottom line and uh and your voice sounded weak to me. I was weak, <laughs> you know. And now you don't see, you don't sound that way. You sound uh, you sound like yourself. Yeah, well, good. I I, I, I still have. Uh, I don't walk as well. I take. I get tired easier. I don't do any yard work. I try to stay out of the sun. You notice I got long sleeves on right now. Yeah. Uh, and um, you know, I'm just. Tr- trying to do the things i should do all right well let's talk about this we gotta get a break in it's the dave ellswick show we're talking to dr terry amucci he's a doctor he's calling and saying this has happened to him he's a doctor he knows this stuff <laughs> and now he's come on to talk to you because uh, you know he wasn't paying real close attention he is now i can tell you that if you want a career working outdoors you want to serve your community 
then listen up. If you're detail-oriented, you strive to do the right thing. If you want a career with a leading company, you can work with your hands and you thrive in the outdoors, then PI Roofing wants you to think about joining their team. PI Roofing Home Solution expanding their operations department to better serve their customers as they grow. You want to go and build your future with them? PI Roofing Home Solutions has career opportunities in their commercial roofing and service division, residential roofing and service division, and their home solutions division. Here's what you need to do. You can make a difference with the folks at PI Roofing. You can climb the ladder of success with this group. You can make a great living with uh, PI Roofing. All you have to do is apply at piroofing.com or call 501 501- 707-3551. I'm, I'm reliving the second game of the College World Series between the Arkansas Razorbacks and the uh, the the Beavers of Oregon State. And when they missed that foul ball, I looked at my – see, I've been a, a Cub fan all my life. It's your problem. And it's when, it, when, you see, when you see that happen – it just brings back all the bad memories, like Bartman and all of that stuff. And I looked at my wife. I said, this is not good. Next pitch, the guy gets the base hit, ties the game. Next guy comes up, second pitch, drives it out of the ballpark. I just said, told you. <laughs> yeah, Pastor Mark over at Rock Creek reminded us this weekend, he's too a Cubs fan. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I could feel for every Razorback fan. In that ball game, I'm just telling, and I'm a Razorback fan. I love watching them play. They have a great team, but man, that was a heartbreaker to say the least. Okay, we got a, we got what a minute, minute left here before we get to the, to the news doc, and we got Doctor Terry Yamauchi here. We're talking about the Heat. If you happen to be, what would you say, over fifty five and, or under, maybe only forty five, but you're out of out of shape. Well, there's other things, Dave, that you need to realize. People that are uh, out of shape, people that have pre-existing conditions, you know. Yeah, uh, like me. <laughs> well, you know, cardiac problems, lung yeah. problems, uh, smokers, uh, diabetics. Uh, pre-existing conditions can wreak havoc with your system and and make uh, symptomatology much different uh, for diseases or conditions that you might experience. So, we yeah, t- my doc has made it real clear to me now because he knows I lift and he knows that I work out in the gym and he knows that I like to work out hard. And he looks at me and he says, Dave, you're not 25 anymore. That's, that's his big saying. You're not 25 anymore. But, Doc, I, I feel like it in my head. You're not 25 anymore, Dave. All right, we got more coming your way. But first, let's get to the news here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back with you on the Dave Ellswick Show. Good to have you along with us. Dr. Terry Yamauchi is with us. Uh, infectious diseases usually is what we have him in here talking about, talking about, uh, you know, something like uh, mosquito-borne illnesses. And uh, big story last week was that tick that they found out on the, the West Coast. And there's a lot of different critters that are showing up in the United States that, make uh, folks that do your type of work doc very very nervous but i'm not going to talk about that right now because i want you to come on and talk about 
Well, let this, me just mention to, to that. Yeah. A good friend of mine's wife <coughs> came down with tularemia this past month. What is that? Tularemia is, uh, well, some people call it rabbit fever, uh, but it's from ticks. She remembers getting bit by a tick and going in and after uh, about two weeks later coming down with high fever and feeling terrible and they studied her and drew blood and uh turned mm. out she had tularemia so that's a tick-borne disease and nothing to be fooling around with it's i have a friend uh won't mention her name going through some very aggressive uh treatments right now uh had gotten several years back rocky mountain tick uh uh infected and it has just wrecked havoc yep with her health right and now they're trying to get her white blood count under control and uh she's in she's in a real battle right now but uh, i just tell you what uh ticks can you got to keep an eye on that you know you go out in the woods when you come i always learn when i deer learn deer hunt first thing you do when you come back is you strip down and you check your whole body to make sure you don't have any ticks on you. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, just you check everywhere. I didn't want to get off track, but I thought it was, you know, this is a time when ticks are out there and you're going out in the garden and you might not even know you have it. So we yeah. can talk about that some other time. Yeah, we can. Bottom line, <clears throat> be careful about that. Let's go back and, and talk about this heat because, as you said, and you're a doc, so you're you're well versed in this stuff, and you know it, it caught up with you. Yes, sir. And you know, the, I, I mentioned the symptoms, and I don't want to lead everybody astray by saying that these are definitely the symptoms. Uh, they can be different for different people, different ages. Some people are more sensitive to heat. Uh, remember that heat also causes sunburn, and different degrees of sunburn are heat uh, associated problems so uh, be careful of sunburns and you know uh, exposure to to the sun to prevent it i got i gotta tell you the thing that i found very interesting is a lot of women now are wearing these jeans that are torn on the legs and stuff and there is a whole facebook page dedicated to pictures of women who have been out in the sun and not thinking about that and have terrible, terrible burns because their skin was exposed and they didn't think about it. You know, they didn't put any kind of sunscreen on those areas and they're paying a heavy price for it. big blisters and all kinds of stuff. Not good. Well, of course, to, you know, to prevent or to modify sun-associated um, illnesses, uh, stay out of the sun. That's easy. Mm-hmm. You know, but you don't think about that. You know, it's daytime. You're doing this or that. Uh, but that's the easiest way to to prevent it. Uh, I neglected to say you also should remember that uh, persons on medications, different medications may, yeah. may be uh, causing problems if exposed to sun. For example, we just mentioned uh, tick diseases. Mm-hmm. One, one of the one of the medicines you treat those with is tetracyclines. I was just going to bring up tetracycline. Well, see all you're learning. <laughs> yeah, I was going to bring that up because there was a time that I couldn't take penicillin. 
Mm-hmm. They didn't want to because after I had had spinal meningitis, they had given me such massive doses of penicillin that uh, the doc said, I think you should pull back off of ever having you know, a penicillin shot for years from now and use something else. And so they went to tetracycline. And you can get a real bad burn on tetracycline exactly. easy. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what happened to this lady on, on the tetracycline. <laughs> I feel sorry for her. And again, this is just within the last month. So it's not something in ancient history. So so I'm worried about people that are on special diets. Because I get a lot of athletes that are taking all kinds of crazy things. And I don't know how that's going to, you know, is there a problem if they're exposed to sun, which they don't think about or weren't told about. Right. And so I've been telling my friends, if you're taking any supplements or you're taking combinations of supplements, and you don't know if there's any problem with the sun, ask your doctor. Uh, the other thing is pe- persons on diets. we got people always on diets, especially the athletes are on diets. And that may weaken them to some degree. And that may cause a problem if they're out in the sun. So, you know, there are a lot of things that you need to think about that we don't naturally think about uh, on a day-to-day basis when the sun's out. You know, the biggest mistake I think people make when they take <coughs> supplements they hear it before somebody says supplement, they say it's a natural supplement, all right? It's made out of something natural. It's made out of some plant or something. That don't mean it's not going to affect your body in ways you may not be used to. It can cause you problems. Some of those, some of those plant-based products uh, go in and act like a diuretic. They, they, they'll, they'll make you where you're losing water. Okay. Well, that leads us into the next thing. One of the treatments for heat, of course, is to take lots of fluid, mm-hmm. but it's got to be the right fluid. Uh, and, and most of the time, just water is good. Are you saying to me that I can't drink a 12-pack and be okay? Well, you know, <laughs> you know the problem with that. Again, sure I do. And I'm, I'm not necessarily picking on athletes, but I'm around them quite a bit. And, you know, they get done playing a game or something, they want a beer. Yeah. Or two or three or four. Suck the water right out of you. Exactly. And at one time, you know, the, the VA actually used to uh, treat veterans with congenital heart failure. With, who then they have an excess of water in their bodies. They give them beer because it causes diuresis, causing them to pee out excess fluid. Mm-hmm. And uh, so... You know, I used to like to have a beer, a couple beers a night before the game. We'd go out and have barbecue, and you know, it's salty, and you'd have a couple of beers. But it sucks water; it, it makes you it dehydrate you. Correct, That's exactly correct. Right. correct. And a lot of guys like to eat, drink iced tea. Tea has a diuresis too, cause ice. Uh, so I tell them, no, don't. You know, drink water. I said, well, what about if I eat uh, Gatorade or drink Gatorade or one of these energy drinks, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, usually you don't need to do that. Water is what you need. Salt tablets. I don't know if your coaches made you take salt tablets. When I when was you're... in high school, boy, yeah, like candy. Yeah. And, you know, you can have – I had a ball player that was taking calcium chloride pills and thought that was really – you know, because he needed, I mean, uh, potassium. Yeah, but potassium chloride is what they used it to inject death pay, uh, death 
people. So it's only it should be used in the right conditions. Yeah, you know. And so if, if you're eating normal a normal diet, uh, you probably don't need. And I like pickles. I like pickle juice. I love pickles. Yeah, and so those. So did Kuzman. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, another baseball story for another day. Uh, uh, the um, doctor told me I had to drink tomato juice, and I like tomato juice, so mm. I'm drinking tomato juice. Uh, he wants me to drink at least 50 ounces of water a day, which I am now doing. Uh, okay, is how much? 50 ounces equals how much? What is I half gallon or something? More than that. More? Yeah. And uh, bananas. Cause they potassium. Potassium. And the potato, uh, tomato juice. Which I love, so um, you know I'm doing okay on that. But I, I'm actually counting the number of these big, big glasses like this filled with water. Get up in the morning. Not a bad thing to do. That's well, the first thing you should do when you get up in the morning. I, I tend to drink coffee, which is a diuretic. All right, it, it's going to make you pee. But I'm going to tell you what. If I was still an athlete like I was, I'd get up and drink a couple big glasses of water because you're dehydrated when you wake up. You know. Yeah, fill up the water stores, get those going. Right. So, you know, uh, those are the things that I suggest to people. You know, the next step in heat exhaustion is heat stroke, which is life threatening. Yeah, that can kill you. They can kill you. And if you stop perspiring, if you really get dizzy and stuff, you know, you, you got to cool down. Feeling clammy. Mm-mm. Feeling clammy is dangerous. Not good. Very not good. <laughs> and. Uh, you know, they, they some places actually put out a one of those children's swimming pools, fill it up water, and if that gets to that stage, jump in there, lay down in it. Absolutely, bring your core temperature down. Exactly, exactly. So, uh, pl- no, lessen your exposure. This is what really scared me, David, because uh, the doctor said, you know, uh, as you get older, it takes less heat less exposure, and the symptoms may not be as intense as they were, but <laughs> the end result and the worst symptoms can be sudden, worse, right? Yeah, sudden death. <laughs> you die. Oh, my God. That's a pretty bad symptom. Yeah, that's the ultimate symptom. That's the one you don't want to experience. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, especially if you're older, like we went over, if you're older, you uh, have experienced the problems of the past. Uh, you, you, um, <clears throat> uh, you, you might have other ailments or other conditions, heart, etc. Um, you know, you got to be even more. Co- I skipped the last tournament in Texas. I didn't go because I knew that once I got there, you know, it'd be heck to pay for me not to be out there. Yeah, you know, and I drive you crazy. Uh, so I've already told my players and friends you know if i try to go out there and i've been out there and if you notice anything you know just drag me back i i probably you know give you hell about it but you know i'm not gonna you need myself. to keep you need to get one of those towels I've that got, you get wet and they get cold and you keep it around your neck i've got one do you I'm good take it to the next uh, next game so uh those are things i, I want people to remember and it's mm-hmm. it's simple, really, when you think about it, you know. Well, it's common sense kind of things. <laughs> but, However, you don't think commonsensically if you're having a fun time and you're outside. 
Yeah, and your friends are still yeah doing their thing, doing their thing. You think, well, yeah, I, I can do that. And you forget you forget that they're twenty years younger than or you or thirty. Yeah, <laughs> makes a big difference, a huge difference. All right, final break here in this hour, Doctor Terry Yamuchi. Some great advice for everybody about uh, the heat. I mean, it made him sick. Made him sick enough that his doctor warned him that uh, as you get older, you know, the the results can be not as significant except when it all comes together and then you have sudden death. <laughs> not where you want to be at. All right, we'll take a break. It's the Dave Ellswick Show, 1011 FM, The Answer. All right, back with you. Dr. Terry Yamauchi is our guest. Uh, great doctor, better friend, and uh, a great movie buff. That's how we got to be good friends. He's a great movie buff. Although I've had him on many times talk about you know infectious diseases because we've had our share of bizarre stories over the years here in Arkansas. That that one brain eating disease is the one that scares everybody to death because it can be in a lake anywhere here in the state, and you just happen to get some of it up your nose or something, and it gets to your brain and it's not good the chances of survival are not very good i think i described that first case in arkansas 40 40, 45 years ago at least that's amazing it's a that's an ugly disease it really really is and there's a lot of ugly diseases out there but you know the thing to keep in mind and i I try to remind people this is it doesn't happen to everybody all right it's your chances are very slim, although you want to know what the symptoms are so that if you just happen to be the unlucky person, you might identify something. I mean, n- now with mosquitoes being the, the carriers of disease the way they have, uh, something to think about. Although this year it's not been bad because we haven't had a lot of rain. It's been it's been hotter than blazes out, so with not a lot of puddles around and things of that nature, not as many breeding grounds. And again, people are trying to stay inside. That's a good idea when it's really, really when it's a hundred when it feels like a hundred and eighteen degrees out, there is no reason you need to be outside. Go inside, watch ball game. That's what I do. I turn on on DirecTV channel two thirteen. That's the MLB channel. That's where I spend a lot of my time at. Well, I you know I'm a great reader and I just love to read and so I do a lot of reading now. Sit around reading, um, <clears throat> so that's where we are. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you've been you're drinking tons of water now. Mm. Do you like the taste of water? I hate the taste of water because mm. it has no taste uh, for the most part. I like lots of ice in it. Okay. I got a big old mug that I fill up with water, uh, ice, first thing in the morning, and uh, you know, take a good hit off that. When I take my medicines that I take, mm-hmm. vitamins, and um, it's yeah. I I will tell you this: if my doctor told me to drink that much water, I drink that much water. <laughs> when the doctor tells you, you pay attention. Well, I mean, some, why do you? Sometimes. Why do you? Why do you spend the money to go see the doctor if you're going to ignore him? Well, you know, my wife's not a doctor, but I try to listen to what she tells me. <laughs> well, that's because you want to live. All right. I mean, I understand that. You just want to live. You, you 
the way that is. And she wants you to live. She wants the best for you. She wants the best for you in, in doing that. So anyway, uh, you're drinking all your water. You're paying attention now. You didn't go to one of the softball tournaments uh, down in Texas because, like you said, it's not. Uh, you knew it was going to be hot. Number two, you knew that even it was hot, and you knew you shouldn't be out in it. Your team is playing, and you're going to be out in it. Yeah, I'm, yeah. that's what I'm struggling right now, Dave. We've got one coming up in Rogers, Arkansas. Yeah, it's going to be yeah, hot up there. It's going to be pretty warm up there too, and it's not an important one, but. I missed like the last one. I just there, like yeah. to be out there and, you know, watch watch what happens. Well, the key is, and I think if you take your your uh, your scarf that you can put around your neck and keep yourself cool and you keep your hat on like you should, uh, things of that nature, I think you probably would be fine and keep and drink more water than you need. think that you need to drink. That's the key. Stay ahead of it. Yeah. Thank you, Doctor Dave. <laughs> Stay ahead of it, man. That's 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 a good thing. I was lucky. I played ball more towards the north part of the United States than I did in the south. Well, it's so, Oregon. I mean, yeah. I mean, we'd run into hot days. I mean, look in Chicago. Saturday it was a hundred and four heat index. You know, and they. I mean, what was it? Uh, yesterday, I guess it was. Luster said he thought he was going to pass out couple of times out on the mound it was 100 felt like it was 102 minnesota had three players that had heat related illnesses and and that's playing on natural turf that's a lot cooler than playing on some of the artificial surfaces this wasn't just an isolated incident of myself i've had three two friends in the last two weeks that have had problems had to stop doing things uh, one somebody you know real well that uh, was playing golf and only played five holes had to stop after five holes and uh, he recognized that he was not doing well mm. so he stopped uh, another person uh, was playing golf also and tried to play the whole course and had to stop after 12 holes uh, and turned out he uh, he turned out to have a heart problem that developed mm. not good yeah yeah, so, that's just not good stuff. It, it just no, really no is not. No chances when you can correct by stopping. A few years ago, I was up in uh, in Branson, <clears throat> and I went to the, uh, the that pro course that they had up there and was playing, and it was just hotter in blazes. And I played the front nine, and I stopped because it was just – I mean, when you're standing on the green and it feels like it's 200 degrees out – it's you know it's not worth playing it's not it's not comfortable and it's not pleasant and i go out to have fun when i'm playing sports now you know (laughs) i'm not i'm not looking for a big check like tiger is okay i'm just hoping to to shoot a couple over every hole (laughs) every hole yeah well that's good that's all i'm trying that's all i'm trying to do all right, Doc, I thank you very much for coming in today. It's always, like I said, it's a pleasure to have you in. We got uh, we got dinner plans we got to make. Yep. We get together about once a quarter and have dinner together. And we see the movies. And we got to see you out the next, next Tuesday, Raiders. Yeah. Raiders of the Lost Ark. And it's week Tuesday. Tomorrow. Tuesday the 10th, yes. You, if you call over to Riverdale, they'll, they'll tell you that they don't know which of the classic movies that show up on Tuesdays is ours. Ours no. is always the second Tuesday. 
second Tuesday of the month. Raiders is the next one, then Forrest Gump in July, as uh, is August, I believe, and then we come back with, uh, what is it, uh, Judy Garland. And uh, the the Wizard of Oz. And the Wizard of Oz, yeah. yeah. Tin Man. Maybe, no, maybe that's August, and then uh, Forrest Gump is September. Anyway, October, I know, is The Exorcist. November is uh, the Maltese Falcon, and December is going to be White Christmas. And then we won't have to worry about 99-degree days. Doc, thanks so much. Well, thank you. We'll for, talk to thank you. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Got uh, Conduit for Action coming up next here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right. So we have talked about the uh, Supreme Court. We had uh, the RNC on, talk about that, what to expect. Talked about how the Democrats are gearing up uh, for this fight. This this is going to be the kind of fight that we had over uh, Justice Thomas and over Robert Bork. Uh, I don't know who will play uh, Kennedy uh, on the judiciary, but somebody will. And uh, it's going to be interesting to watch. It's going to be a big, big fight. There's no doubt about it. My thanks to Dr. Terry Yamauchi for coming in and and talking about uh, if if you got a little bit a few years on you like I do I'm 65 that you should be very careful when you're out in the heat because we're not 25 or 30 anymore and uh, it can it can cause havoc with your system and and uh, can cause uh, real illnesses as it has affected him uh, here this year. And now I want to move into uh, the folks with Conduit for Action. Brenda and Joe are with us uh, from up north in the northwest part of the state. Uh, there was an article today uh, on uh, conduitforaction.org uh, written by David Ferguson. He's the former director of Arkansas's Bureau of Legislative Research. That's the folks that the uh, politicians go to, the state reps and the state senators, to help them write. Uh, the legislation that uh, they feel uh, they need to pass. And uh, these are the folks that tell them if there's already a law in the books that deals with it or if what they're wanting to do is going to, you know, uh, collide with another law and cause problems. Um, He has a 32-year career as an attorney for the Arkansas legislature. And he wrote an article uh, today called The Forgotten Ethics Law. And then in parentheses, not so forgotten. And uh, this uh, ethics law uh, is dealing with contracting. And we've had a, a lot of stories here uh, over the last uh, several weeks about uh, problems uh, with elected officials and uh, with people who are uh, trying to influence elected, uh, elected officials and whatnot. And so, uh, Brenda and and Joe, thanks for joining us today. And Joe, thanks for being able to make it today. I know that uh, you were uh, taking care of some business, but you've been able to make your way in to take part in the show today. My pleasure. Yeah, let, let my pleasure, kind of. <laughs> yeah, well, let, let's talk about about David Ferguson because people should listen to what the man is saying because he has lived this life. Uh, for you know like you said 32 years uh and and during that time you know he was a go-to guy for these legislators and and he's seeing things that 
that he does not like, and he's writing these articles. And it seems to me that uh, they're really good to give us all some very good background to help us understand what's going on right uh, in in the legislature now. Would you agree with that? Yeah, Dave, here's, here's the thing. You know, I don't know if that law was forgotten or it was intentionally ignored, but I, I think it's important for people to understand, the public to understand that the, these are complex, sometimes sounding laws, and it's very easy for somebody that is either in on the deal or doesn't want to hear what we have to say to claim, well, that's just lawyer talk and gibberish and, uh, you know, good people can disagree on, on both sides. You know, that, this is a plain spoken law, and it, it's so blatantly and willfully ignored or abused. And, and we can get into the minutiae, which I, I'm, I just can't wait for Brenda and David and you guys to all get into the minutiae. But the fact of the matter is, if the public doesn't care, or if they get dissuaded, like like Fast and Furious, you know, nobody knows all the facts. They don't have time, and and if you say it's a lie, you know, long enough, then people will forget about it and move on. And that's what's going to happen here, in my view. But it's really a bad situation. Well, let me let me just read from the article because I think it's important uh, that we hear what David has to say. He he goes through and he gives a a rundown of, of people and and, and especially a, a particular business uh, that has been involved in wrongdoing. And he says, the ethics and contracting law is quite detailed, addresses gratuities, kickbacks, disclosures of financial conflicts, restrictions on being involved when the employee has a conflict, and a temporary or permanent ban on being involved in certain matters after leaving state employment. The law also includes some good statements on ethical standards for state employees. I want to highlight the provision imposing a permanent ban on a former state employee from being involved in certain manners. Be aware there is also a similar provision applying a one-year ban and a disqualification when a former employee is a partner. And he goes through and he, he names, he breaks this down, he says, I am not insinuating any of the former employees of DHS have violated any provision of the ethics and public contracting law. I'm raising this issue as one for consideration because the ethics and contracting law is rarely noticed. I mean, I, I never heard of this until I read uh, this article. And he says, here's his recommendations. The governor should make sure state agency directors and appointees are informed and are enforcing the law. Uh, some state employees involved in purchasing receive training in ethics, but all state employees involved in contracts should receive training in compliance. Former employees involved in contracts should be required to disclose that fact on contracts with the state. The legislature should review the law to see if it should be updated to address any loopholes, and the legislature should consider moving enforcement of the law from Governor Hutchinson's director of the Department of Finance and Administration to the Arkansas Ethics Commission. So uh, you're all thought about this. Let's just go back and, and talk uh, about all of this. You got a company that, you know, that uh, has done a lot of questionable things. You got 
a person who used to be in a government employee doing things that uh, by this law he shouldn't be allowed to do. But it seems like you said, uh, Joe, either people don't remember the law or they they choose to have selective amnesia about the law. Well, I had made the comment to uh, someone the last couple of days, if a tree falls in the forest and there's no one there to hear it, does it not make a sound? And I would say we have laws on the books, so when they're not enforced, are they no longer the law? I mean, we have these laws, and if you, you know, I think that David wants to give everyone who is responsible for enforcing them, seeing that they're done, and who are expected to keep them, an opportunity to reread them. I think it's very important, even even as an attorney, the law is very, very long and detailed, but it screams at how to do the right thing as um, not just, now when you think of employee, you think of an employee on the uh, state agency or, or, or employed by the, the state, but the, an employee under this statute includes elected officials, includes the legislators. And so when we talk about attorneys and their contract, and you you read where David says, you know, one-year ban on a partner being a partner in an organization, the ban is also on partners of the former employee. So when the former employee is a legislator and he has partners who are then entering into these contracts, I mean, these are no-nos. And so, you know, I know Senator Rayford came out this week and said, well, you, we can't be so restricted with our new Senate ethics rules that no one can make a living. Well, you're not, you know, as, as uh, I heard Mark Johnson on Paul Harrell's program this morning and making the statement, you know, we don't need to be um, hiring, uh, electing people who go down there and then enter into these contracts. When you do this after the fact with new clients, it's sort of obvious what you're doing here. You know, you, you, you say, I'm going to run for office. You read the law, you know what you're putting yourself uh, subject to, and then you take the risk. And so it's not like Rayford wants us to believe you're keeping people from making a living. No one's going to run for office. I think people need to see if they, these, these laws get more exposure to the sunlight. I mean, it's pretty sad when we're saying, uh, you know, is this really the law? I know some people were saying, is it against the law to not file your state tax return? I mean, some of these laws are now being uh, sunlight shining on them. And uh, this certainly is, uh, uh, you know, ethical contracting, something that um, maybe Gary Stubblefield, Senator Gary Stubblefield, Jimmy Hickey, Ron Caldwell could have used when they're trying to hold the office uh, of state procurement to account. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, you know, David makes the statement because the ethics and contracting law has gone largely unnoticed for nearly 40 years. I mean, Look, this has been something that has been, you know, building towards causing some major problems that people are not paying attention to the law. You can have, as you said, if a tree falls in the forest and nobody's there, does it make a sound? The bottom line is, is no, because there's nobody there to experience it. If you got a law in the books that nobody knows about, or if they do, they ignore do you really have a law? And the answer is no, because nobody enforces it. It's really disappointing what we have found since we've gotten involved and, and tried to help the uh, conservative and, dare I say, Republican movement to, to get some of this transparency and to, and to 
cut the size of government. Uh, and, and it's like the tree thing is we have found so much. And then when we go to people or there's a bill run to try to fix it, there's nothing but resistance. And so now who do you tell that, that cares enough to do anything? Mm-hmm. Are these people all asleep at the switch willingly or not? I think Joe wants to, wants to ask, you know, does the public care? And my response is I don't think they're being adequately educated. I don't think our media is being aggressive enough. It's, I mean, our, I give the Arkansas Democrat Gazette a lot of credit, Arkansas Times, which I never thought I would say, talk business, <laughs> but it's like they just go so far and then, you know, don't go all the way. And, of course, you see the hate that we often – uh, have the opportunity to receive, you can sort of see maybe why they know better than to cross the line. Well, and they won't pass a bill to, I mean, Brian King's had bills, Linda Collins Smith's had bills, but instead of getting behind those bills and passing them, they run them out of office. I mean, who are these people? Yeah. I mean, does the public even have any clue that this is going on? Yeah, I, I don't think that they do. I'll be honest, uh, I had not heard of this particular piece uh, of of law uh, that's out there, and, and I'm one of those people that I think that I try to keep up on as much as I possibly can. But I'll be honest, I I guess uh, I had blinders on. I didn't think there were a lot of people that w- were uh, you know holding uh, positions in the the House or the Senate that I thought were uh, bending the rules and. And maybe taking uh, taking bribes. Uh, it a lot it's of like business as usual for a lot, not all, but a lot. Well, I mean, you know, criminal uh, law one hundred and one, ignorance of the law is no excuse. And I would certainly say ignorance of the procurement law for the office of state procurement is certainly no defense. Right. Yeah, I I would suggest that we just elect ethical people that don't need to be trained what is right and wrong by the state. Well, I mean, they do need to be, uh, you know, David has some really good recommendations here on, you know, going back and recovering uh, the rules. It's sort of like in the Bible when you read uh, some of the kings finding the Old Testament, the the scriptures, you know, maybe Arkansas has found some of its um, laws that will help it you know, get over some of what we're going through right now. Well, here's the key. Why pass new laws if you're not even sure what the old laws are? Well, I think maybe uh, getting out front of the parade with the Senate ethics rules uh, seem ridiculous now when you read these. Yeah, it's so not needed, but it's, but it's a, an illusion of, of uh, doing something. Yeah, the key is, yeah, these are new rules that we're looking at, but maybe you should be looking at the old rules that nobody's, you know, upholding yet. Well, well, here's another problem with this whole mess with rules and and statutes and laws that are ignored, is at any time of whomever's choosing that has the power to prosecute, they can apply them strictly to you or me. But who do you go to to apply them to them? Yeah. That's the biggest problem we have in the country today. All right. With that. Um, let me just read you a couple of things from the statute. First okay. of all, I think one of the most exciting pieces um, is under the Section 702 penalties. And so an employee or non-employee 
who shall knowingly violate any of the provisions of this subchapter, and don't forget, I told you that ignorance is not an excuse, shall be guilty of a felony, and upon conviction shall be fined in the sum not to exceed $10,000, or imprisoned not less than one year or more than five years, and shall be punished by both. So, you know, that's a pretty strong penalty, your felony that you can get, you know, five years and $10,000. That's a lot of special elections we'd have to have if it was applied. <laughs> Well, I mean, because remember, a legislator would be under this, and so, you know, passing a contract on the legislative council can conceivably be a breach. Like school doors that close automatically, that are written into the law, those kind of things? Well, and then Section 703, Statement of Policy, public employment is a public trust. It is the policy of the state to promote and balance the objective of protecting government integrity and the objective of facilitating the recruitment and retention of personnel needed by the state. The policy is implemented by prescribing essential restrictions against conflict of interest without creating unnecessary obstacles to entering public service. So I think they understood all the issues when this law was written. And think about what was going on. You and I can in 1979. I mean, I was you know, still uh, wet behind the ears, certainly, but um, there's really good policy, but this isn't reading from some dictionary or something we might think is a nice statement. These are statutes on our books that are being ignored for the most part. Now, David does reference um, in January the Office of State Procurement applied this and uh, to a con re re uh, increasing the contract with Preferred Family Health for $4.2 million dollars and the uh, Legislative Council subcommittee was just about to say, no, we can't do that because you're, our ex-employee is part of Preferred Family Health. And Preferred Family Health, lo and behold, fired him, so the contract was immediately, um, you know, approved. All right. I need you to, th to hold your uh, cannon fire for a moment. We're going to come back and talk further. And I want to talk about what do we do to change this around I want to talk about Senator Hendren saying that one of his uh, first things he wants to do in 2019 is to start streaming in the uh, Senate. That is a big change. We'll talk about all of it when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back as we uh, get ready for the news coming up at the bottom of the hour. Uh, Brenda and Joe with us, Conduit for Action. Conduitforaction.org is their website uh, suggest that you go read this article by David Ferguson uh, dealing with uh, this whole thing about ethics laws and a, and a specific one dealing with contracting. Also, remember, if you're thinking about claiming your Social Security benefits, you want to stop and really consider what you're going to do because you could be on the verge of making an irreversible mistake that could cost you tens of thousands of dollars in retirement funds. Uh, that decision could trigger an avalanche of taxes, double your Medicare premiums. You could avoid that by attending an educational maximizing Social Security class on Friday, July the 13th. It's hosted by David Lucas from David Lucas Show here on 101.1 The uh, Answer, Saturdays, 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. Now, Consider that a lot of you have put off calling about this because you said it was a long way away because I've been talking about it for over a month. Well, now you're not that far away, and it's limited seating, so you need to get a hold of these folks and get set up so you don't miss the workshop. 
In this workshop, we'll make claiming your benefits simple and easy. Registration is just $18, includes a 34-page workbook, maximizing your Social Security benefits. Call 501-653-6690, 501-653-6690, or visit davidlucasfinancial.com. We'll be back with Brenda and Joe, but first we've got the news for you here on the Dave Ellswick Show on The Answer. All right, we continue on the Dave Ellswick Show. Joe and uh, Brenda from uh, Conduit for Action are with us today. We've been talking about ethics and contracting, and and Joe, we got this we got this law that's on the books already. But as David pointed out in the article, for the last forty years, it's as if nobody understood that it was on the books. Now, I want everybody to think for a second. Forty years ago, they realized. The problem with people serving in the legislature going out after serving and being part of companies uh, getting contracts with the state government. In this case, we're talking state government now. This is the same problem they have in the federal government as as well. Uh, I mean, if they haven't paid attention for 40 years, what makes us think that they're going to pay attention now? They're, they're not. Uh, there's really no downside to the culture down there because you're not going to ever convince me that the majority of the people down there in the legislature did not know the kinds of things that have been going on and have surfaced over the last few years because if they if they claim not to know then they're just flat out lying because we were down there telling them well they were, in a lot of cases but they were telling us some of them were telling us and like, what are we supposed to do? Well, okay, we'll we'll take it as far as we can. But if at the highest levels of government, people don't care or or don't want to get involved or are afraid to open that wound because of their own involvement, I, you know, what can you do to help them? You know, the the thing that disturbs me the most, and I've spoken about what we're talking about here many many times. I've been talking about it for years because. I've seen it in other states as well, and it's this. These people work together all the time, and they get to know each other. And whether you're Democrat or Republican, in many cases, they become friends. And they may know that the person may be doing something illegal. They don't approach the person because they're friends. And that's that. it's a bad situation. That's what happens when you get a an enclosed type of a, of a culture that perpetuates this kind of behavior? Well, if, you, if you're walking down the aisle of a Walmart store with a friend of yours, Dave, or you're going, going shopping with him to buy a new fishing rod, and you see your friend stuffing stuff in his pockets without an intention to pay for it, well, I mean, what are you going to do? Well, I, you know, I, would, lifelong buddy. I would, I would, I would, you know, get face to face with them about it about uh, stopping them and 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 if necessary would turn them in however that's me i don't know how many people would do that in in the culture that we live in today but it goes beyond that i believe because you have a situation where these people were talking about um they have bragged on doing a lot of these things and then you have, uh, and no one likes for us to say this, but you have leadership in our state right now at the, the top levels 
who have basically condoned it and and uh, rewarded this behavior, and then those who want to object are subject to you know an, an opponent in the next election. I mean, so well, what, what's worse? Yeah, they're, they're called liars over and over and over again in taxpayer-funded media blitzes. Yeah, you go too far, you'll end up where Brian King, you know, uh, ended up, or Linda Collins-Smith. We will primary you because, you know, the special interest will make sure that uh, your opponent's funded. Remember uh, the 30 pieces of silver speech by Bruce Westerman, you know, when when they were debating passing Medicaid expansion or funding it, and uh, Richard... uh, Womack says, hey, I was offered twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 and no opponent for, um, you know, the next two terms. I mean, this is special interest to sure they can make this happen. So, I mean, it's a pretty powerful force keeping those in line who would step out and, uh, as Paul calls it, tattle on their neighbor. Well, and, and who's, who in the public is going to step out? You know, county committees, uh, just business people in the community? I mean, who, who would dare to step up except somebody that's you know, as ignorant as we are. But let's let's talk about David's article. You know, his recommendation is to empower the Ethics Commission, which was originally passed and promoted to have the power to do this, but why their hands have been tied primarily is for underfunding. And then when who is responsible for their funding? The very people they're supposed to keep an eye on. So, um, you know, maybe the... Uh, legislature or the people should come along with an initiative that funds it separately, sort of like the Game and Fish or, you know, whatever. I don't know. But something else has to be tried here. I don't think we can depend on the Senate or whoever, the next Senate, to police itself. Well, it's very much like term limits. The argument against term limits is, you know, the voters can throw people out now, so why do you need term limits? Well, the voters can throw these people out that are stealing left and right and, and are caught doing it, but they won't because the money is not there to do it. Well, not only are they not willing to even bring it out, they're unwilling to pass necessary legislation that will have serious teeth in it that would uh, would cause pain if you're caught doing it. Uh, and they already on, did that four you know, years ago. Yeah, there's the law. <laughs> so now we're right back where we started. Fallen trees in the forest. <laughs> um, you were going to bring up Senator Hendren's proposal to um, record. Um, yeah, know, streaming, streaming live. Yeah, and I would certainly, I certainly, we certainly commend him for that. But we do hope he uh, completes that with recording the meetings in the Big Mac, and of course, um, recording votes for the committees. Well, I would hope that he'll do exactly what the House has done. I hope that, that that's what they'll, uh, you know, they'll do. They'll have the committee meetings. They'll have uh, the floor uh, votes. They'll have all of the all of the votes so that people can see exactly what's uh, what's happening. Well, well, you know, Dave, you've been out there. Not, not everything happens in those committee meetings, uh, you know, in front of the cameras, which, you know, we, we, we believe that's a great step to do joint meetings and House or Senate meetings since that's public business and stream it live, and that's a great idea. But recording the votes of the committees is going to be, it doesn't matter what they say. It's what button they push at the end of the day. I think I've told you this before, Dave. I had an opportunity to talk with one of the uh, primary leaders of the public health 
committee in Tennessee, when they were looking at Medicaid expansion, I was calling him, getting some of his advice for uh, by request of some of our own state legislators. And he, he tells me, well, just get the vote. You know, get them to vote on it in the committee. Get them to vote on it. You know, you've won it when you've gotten them on record. I said, wait a minute. They don't record the votes in our committee meeting. He was just aghast. He could not believe Arkansas did not record its committee votes. That was just like something, you know, out of a, a foreign language book or something. Well, I, I agree. I've been arguing for years that not only should they record the votes, but they shouldn't be able to just do a voice vote. They they should have to all cast your vote so that it can be uh, so everybody knows how they voted in committee. I mean, that's as the old saying goes, the committees are where bills go to live or die. We were, uh, as I think the entire state had their um, county conventions this past month or this yeah in June, and we were attending hours and afterward uh, someone brought up, well, was there a quorum? And they said, yeah, there, there was. We just didn't hear that part. We had a quorum there to vote. And this guy who's attended many of the House meetings, he says, well, he mentions his name. Uh, I won't bring it up to protect the innocent. But he said, I've watched him, you know, say there was a quorum. Sure, there were 11 people here when there were two. And, you know, they went ahead and passed the business on two legislators being present at the committee. And, you know, no one objected. So, I mean, you know, that's what we what we have going on with the people's business. And then we wonder how things get passed. Yeah, is that going to be covered under ethics training? Well, if we had a record of the votes, it probably wouldn't have to be. All right, you know, step one, ethics training. Don't lie to people. That would be the first one. Don't be a liar. But the the bottom line, Joe, is that somebody who's a freshman comes in, doesn't have a clue about, to be honest, doesn't have a clue how how state government basically runs, which makes me wonder why. All right, let's continue the last few moments of today's edition with Conduit for Action, conduitforaction.org. Uh, Brenda and Joe with us. And, I, I, you know, Joe, maybe you know the history of this. When did the legislature vote themselves uh, the ability to get, uh, you know, their own retirement? I, I don't know the answer to that, but it's fairly recent and, they, and it's incremental. Well, before the term limits were extended under Issue 3, thank you, John Woods, a convicted felon, John Woods, as Paul would say, um, they didn't stay long enough to get vested for the most part. And so that was something no one really realized was going on behind that extension of the term limits. Okay. All right. I'll I'll do a little uh, history searching on that and have it ready for us next Monday so we can we can talk about it. Going back to the uh, story by David Ferguson, let me remind the listeners, go to uh, conduitforaction.org and uh, read David Ferguson's latest article. It's good reading. It's important reading. And when you read that one paragraph where it says most people haven't paid attention to this law for 40 years, then you'll understand what a lot of the problem is in Little Rock. Joe, Brenda, thanks for being with me again today on the Dave Ellswick Show. Thank you, Dave. All right. We appreciate you. Again, read that article by David Ferguson. It's a great article to read. All right. Let's take a break. When we come back, uh, Robert Steinbach will join us. He is a uh, legal professor, law professor over at 
Little Rock uh, here, uh, or the uh, University of Arkansas at Little Rock, at the Bowen School of Law. We'll talk to him about an article in the New York Times, how conservatives weaponize the First Amendment. We'll talk about fake news. That's coming up. All right, so uh, when the New York Times starts writing about the First Amendment, you can always assume that they will twist it. And uh, an article that was published on June 30th called How Conservatives Have Weaponized the First Amendment has done exactly that. Uh, Quoting Justice Kagan, saying conservatives, who is part of the court's, she's part of the four-member liberal wing, she said, we're weaponizing the First Amendment. So Robert Steinbach is with us, and Robert, uh, this is a perfect example of what the Bible would say, taking what is good and making it evil and taking what's evil and making it good because this whole article puts on its head what we've always believed i i believe but you and i of what the first amendment does by allowing everybody to speak it empowers everybody what this article says is that by letting everybody speak We've only empowered the rich and the powerful. It's such garbage. Let's break it down. First of all, I love this notion of weaponizing. There are two terms that the Hillary crew have adopted and propagated and entirely misused, right? And it's weaponizing and collusion. So what does the word weaponizing mean in the first place? So, like, you can weaponize, when you weaponize something, you use something not for its intended purpose, and you use it in a way that's dangerous. So let's say you, you weaponize baking powder. Now, I don't know how one would do that, but just as an example, that person weaponized baking powder, and now baking powder somehow has become an explosive. That's weaponizing. You know what speech is designed to be, to, what one is des- supposed to do with speech? Use it. Say things. So the complaint of the left literally is people are using speech to propagate ideas, that's the weaponization of speech. No, that's speech. That's all speech is, is you use words to convey ideas. It's political ideas, it's moral ideas, it's nonsense ideas, it's anything. It's love, it's hate, it's everything in between. But speech is a method of communication. So their claim that conservatives have, have weaponized speech by using it to convey conservative ideas is crack pottery. Speech is designed to convey ideas, and guess what? Conservatives will convey conservative ideas. Liberals will convey liberal ideas, also known as bad ideas, by the way, and, and everything in between. So the first thing is the weaponization. It's they're trying to market against free speech, even though the left... And I've given them credit on your show every week. Yeah. We're the ones in the 60s who far more believed in free speech than conservatives. Conservatives were wrong in the 60s. So here's the second problem. Now the liberals who during the 60s uh, and 70s 
uh, were all for free speech because largely, albeit not entirely, free speech was designed to advance their goals. For example, like Larry Flint, the the editor of the pornography yeah, magazine Hustler. Hustler, very famous Supreme Court case in which he made fun of oh I forget his name, some preacher, and they said no, he's not well. free speech. Jerry Thank Falwell. You. Jerry Falwell. Thank you very much. So he made fun in Hustler of Jerry Falwell, and like you know, really kind of uh, off-color Jerry Falwell having sex with relatives or something like that. Whatever. It's not you know, it's not nice. It's not true. But that's the thing about First Amendment. It doesn't need to be nice, and it doesn't need to be true. I'm no fan of Hustler, but they, but the Supreme Court got it right. They got it right. This guy's allowed to say those things. It was satire. Nobody thought it was true. Uh, and he's allowed to say those things. So when the left was all for criticizing Jerry Falwell, of course, this big conservative, uh, then free speech was used correctly. And the Supreme Court's defense uh, of that free speech in the eyes of the left was legitimate. Now, people on the right also say, well, guess what? We, want, we have things we want to say, and we want to make sure that we're not stifled. And, by the way, the flip side, we don't want to be forced to say things that we don't agree with. Um, you know, like the Baker case, right? Right. And so, either way, we have free speech rights, too, and we're going to use the First Amendment. Not as a weapon, as the First Amendment. That's what it's there for. How exactly is it, quote, weaponized when, when the conservatives brought a lawsuit exactly like the left did and went to the Supreme Court exactly like the left did so that they could say or not be forced to say things they don't want to say exactly like the left did? Remember, the, 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 the New Hampshire case, the, the license plate, it said live free or die. And some liberals said, I don't want to say that. If you put that on my license plate, I want to cover that up. And he covered it up, and he got a ticket or arrested, and he went all the way to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court says, you don't have to say that. You don't have to say live free or die if you don't believe it. Mm-hmm. That was a leftist free speech. But when it comes to, to conservative free speech, oh, all of a sudden the left, well, that's not what we meant. And that just demonstrates the extreme hypocrisy, because then free speech is not about free speech. It has nothing to do with speech. It has to do with ideas. Meaning, the left view of free speech is you're entitled to say anything liberal you want. That's, that's right. Free speech, right? That's free liberalism. Mm-hmm. That's all that is, free liberalism. We don't need free, liber- free liberalism. The liberals are really good at trying to claim that they can give away everything for free in any event, and, of course, tax us into oblivion by doing it. But that's not free anything. That is autocracy, is what that is. And, and the left refuses to acknowledge that. And the New York Times has done somersaults and gymnastics to try to defend the left's attack on free speech, quite literally discussing things like, and I may not have it verbatim, well, even though you have free speech, we have to consider the feelings of those people that hear that speech. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, then... It's not really free speech if, if I don't get to say it. If you say, I don't like it. I yeah. don't like when you say uh, um, that that a, a fetus is a person, uh, be it in, at the moment of conception or at some point thereafter. I don't like it. It makes me feel bad. All right. Well, I'm gonna, get, let me, let me hold, right. hold you right there because yes, I want to read right out of the article, okay? Yes, sir. Let, let's course. read off out of this. This is... Uh, uh, it talked about how liberals supported the right of the American Nazi Party to march uh, mm-hmm. among the Holocaust survivors in Skokie, mm-hmm. Illinois. 
And mm-hmm. uh, this uh, University of Virginia professor says uh, there was a certain naivety in how liberals used to approach free speech because so many free speech claims of the 50s and 60s involved anti-obscenity cl- claims or mm-hmm. civil rights and anti-Vietnam War protests. It was easy for the left to sympathize with the speakers or believe that speech in general was harmless, he said. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, that's that's really important because it goes to what you just said. It was harmless okay. is what they were thinking. But the claim that speech was harmless or causally inert was never true, even if it has uh, taken recent events to convince the left of that. The question then is why the left ever believed otherwise. Some liberals now say that free speech disproportionately protects the powerful and the status quo. And I want everybody to listen real closely to what two prominent law professors say about this. When I was younger, I had more of the standard liberal view of civil liberties, said Louis Michael Sidman, a law professor at Georgetown. And I've gradually changed my mind about it. What I have come to see is that it's a mistake to think of free speech as an effective means to accomplish a more just society, unquote. To the contrary, free speech reinforces and amplifies injustice, says Catherine McKinnon, a law professor at the University of Michigan. She wrote this in the uh, Free Speech Century, a collection of essays to be published later this year. Quote, and this scares me, Robert. I'm going to be honest with this. Mm-hmm. This, this, this. This paragraph scared me. Once a defense of the powerless, the First Amendment over the last hundred years has mainly become a weapon of the powerful. Legally, mm-hmm. what was towards the beginning of the 20th century, a shield for radicals, artists and activists, socialists and pacifists, the excluded and the dispossessed, has become a sword for uh, authoritarians, racists, misogynists, Nazis and Klansmen, pornographers and corporations buying elections. Everybody's got to understand what she just said is that if it wasn't being used to protect people on the left, then it's absolutely shouldn't be existed. That's exactly right. It's all about the substance of the speech. No longer is speech itself free. It's only leftist speech is free. But there's an even further interesting point. Two of the examples that she gave were defended by leftists. Of course, the Nazis marching in Skokie, Illinois, right? That The leftists pursued. That was the ACLU that pursued it. And the, and the attorney that represented the Nazis, a Jewish guy. I think he's in Michigan now. I've communicated with a guy, very nice guy, a law professor. And the pornography cases, the left was all over the pornography. Here's the problem. The left has now come to the conclusion that at that point they said, we don't like Nazis, needless to say, and they were correct, obviously. Nobody in their sane mind likes Nazis. And they said, but we've got to defend the speech. This was almost verbatim what they said. We've got to defend the speech of the Nazis. So that you and I, our speech is defended as well, because even though we're not bad people saying bad things, that is, all speech has to be defended because otherwise, who's going to say you know, that our speech isn't isn't bad? Exactly. Who's going to say that? Oh, if you're not going to defend the Nazis, well then, uh, Dave Ellswick and Rob Stein are going to defend them either. They don't need any help. 
Yeah, right? when that's, that's when, Els- when Ellswick says that uh, somebody who says, uh, I'm a boy, but I believe a girl, and I say, yeah, I say I'm a car, and I stand in my garage, but I don't grow an engine, uh, that that has to be stopped, you know? Right. Yeah, they go, They will, and they do that in Canada. You're not allowed to say that in Canada, for example. If, uh, I think in general, I think it's against their so-called civil rights laws. You can't make that statement in Canada. Uh, and then the second part is the pornography. The left used to be pro-pornography. They they believed it was empowering to women. And then now some on the left, and there's kind of this dichotomy, this split amongst the left. Some on the left say pornography is not empowering, it's abusive, whatever. Uh, the fact is that now the left is anti-pornography. And so what do they say about pornography now? Not protected uh, uh, by the First Amendment because it hurts people. Mm. So, again, it's First Amendment only when it supports their viewpoint. Even, the even whole- when yeah. the people who take part in it says it empowers them. Oh, of course. They, they don't know any better is the claim by the left. This is the overarching claim of the left in general, that is, we're smarter than you, and I've talked to you and your audience about this before. This is the paradox of education, that is, those, in, particularly in academia, think they're so well-educated that they can solve all problems for everybody else, including that big basket of deplorables and ignorant people around the country, obviously all in quotes. Uh, and so they think they're so smart, they're going to make the right decisions for you, what you say doesn't matter. And the problem with that analysis is while someone may be better educated than the next guy down the road, I can tell you this, what, what we know is far less about the world than what we don't know. And so we, we should have a little less hubris, a little less confidence uh, when we're in academia telling people how to live their lives. Guess what? The American people, as well as others, by the way, are, are smart. And while they might, uh, some might not necessarily be well-educated formally, they can make a lot of good decisions for themselves without some leftist telling them how they should be living their lives. All right, let's take a break, and we'll come back and talk further with Robert uh, Steinbach. It, it's just amazing to me that the left – has become the right of the 60s, and the right of the 60s has become the left of the 21st century. I'm, I'm, <laughs> it's just crazy. You know, if you're thinking about claiming your Social Security benefits, you'll want to stop and, and take a breath and think about it because you really could be on the verge of making an irreversible mistake that could cost you tens of thousands of dollars in retirement benefits. This decision could trigger an avalanche of taxes, double your Medicare premiums, and you could avoid this by attending an educational Maximizing Social Security class Friday, July the 13th. It's hosted by David Lucas from The David Lucas Show here on 1011 The Answer on Saturdays at 10 o'clock and again at 3 p.m. The workshop makes claiming your benefits simple and easy, Registration is $18, includes a 34-page workbook maximizing your Social Security benefits. Now, seating is limited, and now we're getting close. As we get closer to the date, these these seats are going to fill up, and I expect that I'll be cutting this off long before the 13th. So call today, 501-653-6690. That's 501-653-6690 or visit davidlucasfinancial.com. All right, 
back with Robert Steinbach talking about this article in the uh, New York Times and how they literally, Robert, taking – we on the right have taken the position of the left now back right. in the free speech days, and the free That's speechers right. have taken the authoritarian view that unless you agree with them, you have no free speech. That's right. That's right. Speech is not free because it's what they say is appropriate. Tell me how that is not authoritarianism by definition. And then this notion that they claim that, oh, well, free speech has been used by the conservatives uh, recently to, for, for the powerful, for the powerful. It's such, it's such a twisting of the facts. And here's one example where they say that. They say that about the recent case that came out that says, uh, uh, public unions can't force you to join the public union and pay dues, whether or not you're, quote, join or not, quote, i.e. pay dues is the key. They can't force you to pay dues. And so they say, oh, well, really big business is behind this. The truth is there is some big business behind that. But there's also individuals, and I know uh, many of them, who don't want to be forced to pay public union dues. As I mentioned to you on the air uh, last week, I would actually join a union if my school had a union. So I'm not anti-union, but I am anti-you telling me I got to join the union. I got to pay them dues. How is that fair and free? Uh, and then the other thing, what about the, the nuns that run these pregnancy crisis centers in California? And they're told, hey, put up a big sign telling people where they can get an abortion. And the nuns are saying, well, we don't really want to encourage people to get abortions. I don't think it's a big secret that People can get abortions, and I think they know they can get abortions, and they don't need to come to us to ask us where to get an abortion. So we don't want to be forced to advertise for abortion providers. Let them put up their own darn advertisements. So are the nuns a really powerful group? Is that what's being asserted here? It's such nonsense. You've got, you got a bunch of government workers who don't want to pay union dues, individual government workers. Nobody alleges that government workers are rich and powerful. And a bunch of nuns and related folks or ty similar type folks that run these pregnancy crisis centers that uh, try to uh, suggest to women uh, who are considering abortions that there's an alternative. All right. How it? We got to we got to hold hold your thought. We'll okay, come good. back after the news, and then I want to talk about the Roberts course and and one of the most inane arguments this whole article makes. You can shoot holes through their argument so easily it's ridiculous. More coming up after the news. All right, last half hour with uh, Robert Steinbach uh, for today. Let me remind you about Sunny's Auto Salvage, your number one choice for recycled auto parts. Their phone number, keep this close. I mean, keep it in your wallet, guys or, or ladies. 982-7451. 982-7451. That number can save you a lot of money. You got a car. Maybe it's got 170, 180,000 miles on it or maybe more like mine where I've got over 260,000 miles on my car. And something's going out on it. Maybe, um, you know, it's uh, transmission Maybe it's uh, the water pump. But you don't want to put a brand new transmission in. You don't want to put a brand new water pump in. So what you do is you call up Sunny's Auto Salvage, your number one choice for recycled auto parts, and you talk to RD or one of his professionals, and you ask him about finding a, a part for your car, and they'll look on their computer. 
Not only will they search their own salvage yard, but they'll search just about every salvage yard here in the United States to find the part that you need. On top of that, they're going to take uh, every part that they sell is guaranteed and comes with a standard warranty. They offer one, two, and three-year warranties on all their parts, so you can get that. And uh, with all of that, you can save money because the parts that they're going to sell to you are going to be about 50% less than the ones you get from the parts store. So when you're thinking parts and your car has got some, uh, has, you know, made its way through life some, think about Sonny's Auto Salvage, your number one choice for recycled auto parts. The phone number again, 982-7451. That's 982-7451. All right, Robert. I come back and it it talks about shifting right in this article. It says the right turn has been even more pronounced under Chief Justice Roberts. The Supreme Court has agreed to hear a larger share of First Amendment cases concerning conservative speech than earlier courts had. Now, here's my argument. Free speech is free speech. It's neither conservative nor liberal. It's speech. It's Once speech. you start measuring the quality of the speech, be it left or right, quote, good or bad, it's not free speech anymore. It's it's a substantive evaluation of what people are saying. It's you're allowed to say what we allow you to say. Yes. Now, what, what more is in favor of the powerful? Because who are the powerful? Right, the powerful are the ones that control your ability to speak. That's, of course, the novel 1984, Fahrenheit, whatever the number is, 451. Uh, so this is the notion that the, the powerful control speech if there is a, a speech filter. And the left has lost it because they don't like the fact that conservatives also want to say things that, needless to say, conservatives believe in. And when they do that, the left goes bonkers. All right. Now they've determined. Yeah, because here you have this article where it's talking about the the different courts. It says the proportion of challenges to restrictions on conservative speech has steadily increased. It rose to 22% in the court that was led by Warren Berger from 69 to 86 to 42% in the court led by Rehnquist from 86 to 2005, and to 65% now in the Roberts Court. Well, let me just ask, Robert, for our listeners to think for a moment. Between 1969 and today, 2018, in what way has our culture changed? Has it become more conservative, or has it become more liberal and if it has become more liberal that would mean that it's current conservative speech that will be attacked more than liberal speech would and thus you're going to have an increase in conservative speech cases before the court does does that logic meld well with you as usual, like a blind boy in the woods, you stumbled on the right answer. And the, and the right answer is, that's a joke, by the way. I know The it right is. answer is uh, that, that so who restricts speech? 
Only government. The First Amendment only applies to restriction of speech by government. That's what Bork and, said. Right, well, that, that there's no dispute about. So if the government is restrict, restricting speech and someone sues, it means that someone is not government. And if, and if someone is suing because he's restricted in his conservative speech, that person, by definition, is not the rich and powerful because he's not the government. The government's the one with the power of the police, the, the power to throw you in jail, the power to fine you, the power to punish you. And these are individuals who say, this is not good. I'm resisting, and I'm going to the court, which is quasi-independent, right? Quasi, because they still are a government entity. Yes. Quasi-independent, and, and we want them to defend us against the overreach by government. So how is it that the left is claiming, oh, that's a conservative, powerful, using free speech? No! By definition, it's someone out of power. It's someone other than the government, trying to free up his or her ability to say something or not say something that the government is trying to impose on him or her. So really this notion that this is uh, the powerful attacking the weak is, is ridiculous. There's no other word for it. It's absolutely ridiculous. But it's the same thing with this notion that the leftists come out with when they say, oh, by the way, hate speech, not speech. Well, then why is the second word in that phrase, speech? Pick another darn word. It's hate speech. It is speech. And the leftists don't know how to uh, hobble together a decent free speech argument these days. When, mind you, they were at the apex of it in the 60s and 70s. Did you read the uh, secondary article? It was a a click-through link from the uh, Federalist uh, dealing with this and it says the new york times be clowns itself with fake news about free speech and uh this article it's an opinion piece written by david marcus uh who's a federalist new york correspondent and the artistic director of blue box world which is a brooklyn-based theater project he's touched on several of the things that we talked about He did say, and I agree with him, of course, speech is a weapon. Have you never heard of the saying, the pen is mightier than the sword? Right. And and to be clear, when I made the point about weaponizing, that means uh, that term is being used by the left, the Hillary crowd, to say that someone is doing something illegitimate. Speech is designed to be conveyed. So the conveying of conservative or liberal or other speech cannot be the weaponization. It is being used for its express purpose to convince others of your ideas. By the way, they can talk back. That's why the leftists started the the notion and conservatives have finally adopted it that the best response to bad speech is more speech. Yeah. That's why we have free speech. I, I love allowed, yeah, no, no, you go ahead and figure, uh, finish up there. Just, uh, just, yeah, just the, the notion that th- the way speech works is everybody gets to hammer out and save their ideas, and then individuals get to make their own choices because we live in a free society. Yeah, and I, and I love it. I love it exactly. Yeah. And and this guy, you know, you know, he's not a lawyer or anything. Uh, he saw right through the, the whole argument as I did and as you have about this thing about, 
well, the Supreme Court is hearing all of these conservative speech uh, type of arguments. He says, maybe at the risk of engaging in crazy talk here, what's happening is that conservative speech really is under attack. Maybe those liptic quotes who have grave and sincere sentiments about the harm speech can cause only think conservatives cause such harm. Oddly, oddly, there's no mention of Antifa or other progressive forces that promote violence and destruction. Maybe they aren't hearing cases involving progressive speech because conservatives aren't trying to suppress progressive speech as much as the reverse. Well, and, and remember the cake case in Colorado. They went after the baker because he refused to make what the the, the right says is speech endorsing gay marriage. Yes, uh, and 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 the people that ruled against him were the government. Yes, it they was were the civil rights commission in Colorado. That's a government body. That's not a private body. And they fined him. They sanctioned him. The government sanctioned him because they said, you've got to make this speech even though you don't want to. And by the way, that same body had previously told other bakers that they could refuse to bake cakes that would that the client wanted a swastika or, or wanted to put uh, uh, racist terms on the cake. And they said, no, you don't have to do that. So that's the example is that, that the the commission, the Colorado commission was liberal and they allowed liberal cake bakers to refuse service for, uh, um, right wing Nazi crackpot ideas, but generally called, I think somewhat inaccurately, but put that aside, right wing, super, you know, extreme right wing ideas, uh, crazy ideas. Uh, those were allowed to be refused. So there was no cake baker who was was suing on those cases because that cake baker, those cake bakers won before the Colorado commission, which cake baker lost the conservative one. That's why the conservative case went to the Supreme court and the liberal cases did not because the liberal cases won at the lower courts. Mm -hmm. So the liberals, uh, at the lower courts rule in favor of the liberals and then they rule against the conservatives and now the liberal new york times says well look only the conservative cases are going to the supreme court because the liberals are winning yeah well i i quote shakespeare i think the liberals protesteth too much that's right that's exactly right because they know they know the truth here i can't believe somebody at the new york times wrote this opinion piece and they cannot see that what they were writing is just a big bunch of hooey. Right. I'm not even sure uh, I'd have to look back. I'm not even sure it's presented as an opinion piece. That's the other thing that's so remarkable about them. The, the, there's no question. I've, I've read the New York Times for years and years. I've told you I read the New York Times. I continue to read the New York Times. But And I, I've talked about how the New York Times, like many press outlets, has a leftist bent for decades. But that's okay. I understand where they're coming from, meaning I understand they're leftists, and I read it with that in mind. Of course, I I, uh, take in conservative media as well. Sure. But here's here's the interesting part. There's no doubt in my mind, having continued to read uh, the New York Times, as I do, that since Trump got elected, they have unabashedly moved left and become far more political in their so-called news coverage. That's just a fact. I'm sorry. That's just a fact. And I've always read them, and I've always said they're leftists. So it's not like I'm discovering something new here as a general proposition, but they have moved left, and they've become much more brazen about it.
Yeah, there's yeah, and they have no problem about it at all. And probably that's a good reason why their subscriptions keep falling through to the sewer. That may be the case. That may you be know? The, I still read them. I still oh, read them. I know and you that do. That's case, okay. Right? You, that's you right? can you can hang in there. That's fine. That's right. I don't that's I right. don't read the New York Times nor the Washington Post any longer. All right. right. Let's let's get a break in here. A final yep. break for this hour. Yep. And then we will come back and finish it up. Robert Steinbach, my guest. He is, of course, a law professor over at the uh, Bowen School of Law. His opinions are his and his alone, and not necessarily those of the Bowen School of Law or UALR. All right. Back with you here on the uh, the Dave Ellswick Show. Final segment coming up uh, with... Uh, Robert, as we uh, continue our weekly talk about uh, free speech, things of that nature, uh, to finish up today, another New York Times article, the millennial socialists are coming. I don't know if you saw this article or not. I just, yeah. Let me, did you read it? I, I, I skimmed it, yeah. Yeah, it's scary. It's, it is it, scary. It, it, I mean, it's really, really scary. Let me uh read a little bit about this is an opinion piece it says talk of popular here's many of the democratic socialists of america's goals and by the way considering consider for just a moment that the dsa uh is only thirty-seven thousand people that that's mm-hmm. all i mean thirty-seven thousand right. out of the whole voting public of america and, right. and that that's like uh, hundred million. Yeah, peeing in you in the wind, blowing against right. your face. Okay, many of the right. DSA's goals reflected in uh, Cortez's platform are indistinguishable from those of progressive Democrats. But if the DSA is happy to work alongside liberals, its members are generally serious about the socialist part of democratic socialists. Listen, if you're a millennial, listen closely. It, its constitution envisions, quote, a humane social order based on popular control of resources and production. Now, who's the popular in that? That's whoever the elite is. Yeah, exactly. Economic planning, equitable distribution, feminism, racial equality, and non-oppressive relationships, unquote. And the, and the writer goes on to say the reason a lot of young people are uh, leaning towards uh, socialism is that they have no memory, they don't know their history, of the widespread failure of communism or socialism, but they have seen the failures of capitalism all around them because right. many people have bastardized capitalism and have changed it into something that it was never supposed to be and that it is and that capitalism is not it's corporatism not capitalism and so they're ready to sign on for something that they historically have no idea what it really means most people don't have a clue what socialism really is about. Take and a look at Venezuela. What can? What? Yeah. Why can't they see Venezuela? Why can't they see Portugal? Why can't they see Greece? All you got to do is look around. My God, we got you know things that are happening right now in the world that shows us that none of that works. Look at Cuba. I mean, that's all you got to do. Well, of course, we we know the the famous uh, Thatcher statement that 
with socialism, you run out, run out of other people's money to spend. And the problem of the left is, while they might, although I doubt they do, recognize that, they figure, well, we'll run out after I'm dead, so it doesn't really much yeah. matter. Or we'll just we'll just make more. We'll just we'll just print more. Right. right. They don't understand that that you can't just print money, or you wind up like Greece, and it's worthless. Hey, do you know in, you know in Venezuela, you know what the what the uh, inflation rate in Venezuela is right now? It's over forty three thousand percent. Doesn't surprise me at all. Forty three thousand percent. Yeah, they've been printing money, and that and it's worthless. Absolutely of worthless. Of course. And then you wind up in a barter society because getting paid. But it, but most people work for the state in that context, and you get paid by the state in nothing, in air, in so-called money, but it's worthless. That's why they all end up in the Army, because at least they get fed there. Right. Because right. the despot wants to stay in power, so he gives them plenty of arms and, and bullets so they can keep that's him right. in power because they don't want to lose their meal. That's right. And that's what, by the way, that's what happened under Saddam Hussein and other dictators. Uh, in the Middle East, meaning they can call it whatever they want. It's authoritarianism. Yes. Call it socialism, call it banana republic. It's authoritarianism. Yeah, I mean, if you look closely at the communist countries and socialist countries, the real hardcore socialist countries, you will see a despot that has a strong military to keep the people who are starving to death in the streets in order. And then we go back to the article we discussed most of this hour, which is you're not allowed to say those things that you believe in because that's not accepted speech. So the so-called free speech is just a speech that agrees with the state. Yep. And doesn't that sound exactly what that New York Times article is talking about? Sure sounds like what Orwell warned us about. Exactly. These conservatives are disagreeing with the state. The cake baker disagreed with the state. The nuns disagreed with the state. And, And the leftists want state-imposed dogma, which is so ironic, because in the 60s and the 70s, they were against the state, right? Mm -hmm. They were against the war. That's state-run. They're not a private war. That's state-run. And so that's what's really remarkable here, is that the leftists have gotten some power. Indeed, they had a lot of power for a long time. And now, all of a sudden, uh, the abuse of state power looks a lot different, because it looks a lot different from the inside. And it's really it's sad, it's transparent, how easily they were co-opted uh, by that power. I recall Nate Bell once said to me, uh, shortly after the Republicans in Arkansas got elected uh, in the majority, he said, we just need to be careful not to turn into what the left has done, because when they had gotten too much power, all of a sudden, their idea of equality of ideas uh, went away. That was on the left. And Nate Bell warned about that possibility on the right. And that's always something we need to be vigilant to fight against. I agree. Robert, we're out of time. Brother, it's always a pleasure to sit and talk with you. God bless. You have a great one. We'll talk to you later. Have a great 4th of July. Tomorrow, the power panel will be back in uh, session. We'll have a lot of things to talk about. We'll talk about, of course, uh, the president and the nomination for the Supreme Court. A lot of things to talk about. Some of this information about socialism. And then the Bible Guys at 5 o'clock. Don't forget for your uh, questions for the Bible Guys. It's BibleGuys at SalemLR.com. Until tomorrow at 2 o'clock, I'm Dave Ellswick. Have a great evening. See you tomorrow.